0: VOCM OCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now, your host, Patty Daly.
1: Well, all right, and good morning to you. Thank you very much for tuning into the program. It's Monday, July the 10th. This is Open Line. I'm your host, Patty Daly. Fonts King is sitting in the producer's chair today. You'll be speaking with Fonts when you give us a call to get in the queue and get on the air. Topic is entirely up to you. So, if you're in the St. John's metro region, the number to dial, 709-273-5211. Elsewhere, it's toll-free, long distance, 1-888-590-VOCM, which is 8626. So, pretty busy summer weekend this weekend, passive events of all kinds and variety, province-wide. People send me photographs, which I really appreciate, from the various events and tell us how much they enjoyed it. So, bravo, a little bit sucked in here in the metro region this morning, but... Some big humidity numbers on the west coast of the province, up in Labrador, there's heat warnings in place. And we talked last week about the fact that there were five out-of-control fires in Labrador, so that risk continues. And also, this is the annual move by the RCMP to remind folks about pets and kids being left in cars. I saw this happen over the weekend at the grocery store parking lot. Some fella was asking another man who was exiting his car how and why he was leaving his dog in, and the windows were up. I stayed away from it. I haven't got the brain power for those types of interactions in parking lots. But it's actually the law. It's not just smart, and it's not just caring thing to do to make sure there's some ventilation in the car, but as part of the Animal Health Protection Act, it mandates that in an enclosed space, you have to provide some sort of proper ventilation. So I guess that reminder is required because every summer we hear these stories. Okay. Congratulations to the members of the Rock rugby team of the under-15s and the under-19s, in particular the under-15s. They just traveled off to the Atlantics. They went to Ontario a few weeks ago to get their feet wet in full-on competition and with full-on contact. So came away with some learning, you know, facing some pretty high-quality clubs in Ontario. Then they went to the Atlantics this past weekend and champions. Champions. And demolished the competition. So for their first crack at it at the Atlantic level of competition, the under-15s take home the goal. Congratulations. Whether it be Dean Blanks, who's the head coach, couldn't go because his young fellow was playing in the Atlantic Soccer Tournament, I believe, on Corner Brook. And so Baz Crosby, Dean Blanks, Michael Doyle, whoever was involved, bravo. And the U-19s, also gold medal champions. So we have put some pretty solid rugby teams on the pitch over the years, no question gave us some good news last week about a karate participant who won a gold medal in the black belt competition at the Worlds. We got another big champion, Alex Ryan, at the 2023 Karate Canada National Championships. Alex took home the gold medal in the male junior kumite plus 76 kilogram competition for Team NL our first national champion at these particular national championships. Now, as a result of his victory, Alex Ryan is going to be uh, competing with Team Canada, the national team. They're going to Chile for the Junior Pan American Championships at the end of August. Bravo to Alex. And yesterday, I was actually waiting for this to come on the program or on TV, and it was the reveal show for the players that are going to represent Canada at the upcoming Women's World Cup couple of things. So it's a month-long competition. Canada opens up their tournament in group play on the 20th of July. We're the seventh-ranked team in the world, defending, of course, Olympic gold medalists. So on the 20th of July, they play against number 40 in the world, Nigeria. Then they take on uh, number 22, Ireland. Then back to Melbourne to wrap up group B play against number 10, the host in Australia. And, of course, nice blend of veterans and fresh faces. But I think we take a lot of our athletes for a... We just don't give them the due that they're required, in my personal opinion. So, a 40-year-old player from Burnaby, BC, Christine Sinclair. She's now going to be competing in her sixth World Cup. She's played at four Olympics, two Pan American Games, and she's the world's all-time leading scorer. She's got 190 international tallies and 323 senior appearances, including 310 starts. She has scored in each of her past five World Cup appearances see if she can make it six. But when I say the world's all-time leading scorer, she's exactly that. She has scored more international goals than any man or woman in history. Christine Sinclair, the captain for Team Canada at the Women's World Cup. All right, let's talk a little bit of fairness. So people are justifiably concerned with implications of the federal carbon tax and the clean fuel regulations. And regardless of what you think about this approach or what party you support, the issue that becomes paramount here is fairness or the lack of fairness. If indeed now, a couple of things, you know, we can't even get the federal government to give us a clear, easy to understand, detailed associated numbers with this clean fuel regulations. So we're now told that people in this province may indeed be paying three times more on these clean fuel, f- clean fuel regulations versus other provinces in the country. There's long been the understanding that we have a much different issue here, whether it be geographically speaking and or the refineries, the numbers of them in Atlantic Canada. But three times more, even our six members of parliament, you can't possibly look us in the face and say that that's fair and that's real and there should not be any further consideration and or adjustment. If we're going to pay it, okay. But let's make sure that we don't see a replication of a cheaper carbon tax in Quebec for whatever bloody reason. And three times more possible in clean fuel regulations in this province cannot be the reality. Cannot be something that we just roll over and play dead on. This is an absolute problem. I've heard federal members uh, from this province talk about carbon tax and associated rebates. Okay. But in this one, clean fuel regulations, it just cannot happen. It simply cannot. So whether it be Minister O'Regan or Minister Hutchings or any of our other members, liberal members of Parliament, if you'd like to call and tell us as to how and why, you think that that's okay, we'll gladly accept your call here this morning. And on this front, this really feels like the government is giving the refineries, the big companies, the big break here. You know, let's just try to make an analogy to sugar tax. So you, impl- you uh, implement the sugar tax and I have to pay it if I choose one of these sugary products. Pro- products, even though there's still some confusion out there as to what should and should not be taxed. As opposed to putting the onus on the companies producing these drinks for them to reduce their sugar content. And when they meet certain thresholds, they either get a break or a subsidy, or if they don't, maybe a penalty. But on this one, the refineries, if the hope is for uh, emissions from our fuels to be reduced, why not put the onus on the refineries? whether it be with the addition of more ethanol or whatever it takes for them to lower the emission footprint of the various fuels produced, how about we start there? Their margins have upticked remarkably since 2019, so let's just maybe change our tune in how we apply these additional costs or who shoulders the burden from me to the company. What do you think we can take it on? And on that front, in the price-setting world, it used to be it was predictable. Once a week, we get an adjustment or not, Some sort of announcement from the Public Utilities Board. We all know it's just like a dog's stomach now. It's up, it's down, it's unpredictable, it's sporadic. You never know what's coming around any corner any given day in the price of fuels. The PUB has a new chair, Kevin Fagan, appointed by the government last week. The appointment is for seven years. We'd love to have Mr. Fagan on, and it's not hot seat stuff. It's help us understand some really fundamental things. What exactly is the formula we use here, whether it be for gas or diesel, home heating, fuel, stove oils, propane, exactly how are we evaluating and arriving at whatever announcement comes on whatever day? Can we do some sort of comparison about how we approach it in this province? And if there are differences we need to understand with the importation of fuels or geographical issues and logistics, let's talk about it. But if we're doing something vastly different than other parts of Atlantic Atlantic Canada, then there's got to be a reason why because it doesn't seem we're in lockstep with the rest of Atlantic Canada on price settings. So congratulations, Mr. Fagan, but it'd be great to have you on the program to talk about these things. And we were told by Minister Responsible Sarah Studley that we'd have a clearer explanation coming from the PUB about these fuel adjustments. Hasn't really happened. You know, the vague reference to market volatilities or market realities. A little bit more detail because we all feel it pulling into the gas station or the grocery store is our least favorite things these days for the obvious reasons. right, keep talking energy. It was a Friday announcement, coming th- from the province, and we were expecting to get an update on how many of the 24 bids from the 19 companies would move ahead in this wind, hydrogen, ammonia play. It's going to be a big deal. Some of these companies absolutely have some big money behind them, and many of these projects will indeed move forward. There's been eight companies that we know have moved on to the next phase. The ninth, we're not really sure who that company is or why they're being held so close to the vest by the government. But uh, ABO Wind, Brookfield Renewable, Everwind Fuels, Exploit Valley Renewable Energy Corp and their hub in Botwood, Fortescue Future Industries, North Atlantic Pattern, and World Energy GH2, of course. So your thoughts on these matters, because it will indeed not only change the landscape, but the way that the province tries to expand employment opportunities and the whole world moving and the appetite for hydrogen we don't have the appetite here because we just haven't gone down that path but in other parts of the world they're absolutely the appetite and the want for hydrogen is growing and it's very real so we'll see where these companies move on during this next phase but here's a strange one you know we've talked about it it's a good problem to have but all of these companies are going to try as quickly as possible to be positioned to move ahead with construction. And some of these plays are talking about 2,000, 5,000 jobs in the construction phase. We're actively going to have to bring people in from out of province. And maybe we will indeed see some uh, Newfoundlanders and Labradorians move home full time with the prospect for these jobs. Then it's the thought of whether or not we can stagger some of these projects so we don't see them overwhelmed. But which company is going to say, oh yes, you please, Mr. Risley, you go first. Don't foresee that being the case. And even in the province, there's lots of ways to break down employment numbers or jobless numbers or un- the unemployment rate. So in May, in the province, the unemployment rate was at 10.2%. Down to 88 in June. Good news. But there's also some issues regarding uh, labor market participation. I don't know how many people have left the labor market who have been looking for a job, but I guess 8.8% is encouraging news. But sustained growth, you know, economic growth, better better situations in life on the societal front. It's fine to look at unemployment and jobless rate numbers and hang hats on, but doesn't tell the entirety of the tale, but I guess good news, sure. 8.8% in June, down from 10.2%, fair enough. All right, this one here long confuses me. Gotta keep talking about it. You know, this is where federal guidance and federal input is required on healthcare. It's easy enough to say the federal government's role is simply to transfer healthcare monies to the various provinces and territories, But we've not only got ourselves in a bidding war, we also have this inexplicable issue regarding trained healthcare professionals who are working in other parts of the country who are unable to work here, whether it be the paperwork, the cost, the cumbersome issue looking for locums, what have you. But this story is about psychiatric nurses. We know we need more support in the world of mental health care and addictions in this province. And if a psychiatric nurse can play a meaningful role, then how and why do we not have them in the fold? So, there's a story about this one particular lady from Mount Pearl. She has a four-year degree at Brandon University, Manitoba. She's working at, as a psychiatric nurse in Manitoba, but would love to come home. She's been recruited to places like Ireland, for instance, but she can't move here. Why? Because we don't recognize their credentials. This is, you know, so it's up to the legislature, legislation to be amended. There is a pilot project coming, which is good news, as we're told by Minister of Health Community Services, Tom Osborne. But then it should be able to, very quickly, I would hope, allow the College of Registered Nurses of Newfoundland and Labrador, which regulates all the RNs, nurse practitioners, but does not have the authority to regulate registered psychi- psychiatric nurses. Let's get that done. You know, this is where the national conversation needs to take place. Let's have a list of accredited schools from every province with every healthcare discipline, see where they fit here, so that it could be as quick as this young lady from Mount Pearl, her name is Jasmine Shepard, to produce her... Her diploma from the university, her credentials as approved by the college in Manitoba, and if she'd like to move home to Newfoundland and Labrador to be an important part, a cog in the wheel of mental health and addiction services, let's just make it easy. Does it make any sense that you can't even have the mobility in your own country? Trained at an accredited university, on the ground, getting experience. I mean, the Atlantic Doctors' Registry is helpful, but it's got to be expanded across the country for mobility issues. It just makes no sense to me. Maybe I'm missing something, but if you want to take it on? We can do it. And looking to speak with anyone who was one of the people, individuals, or couples, families, that had their personal, uh, their email address and, of course, their name associated with this fertility survey email blast. I've heard from a couple of families via email, they didn't want to come on because they're a little bit stressed out about this. Some people are very vocal. In their issues regarding fertility services and the need for an in vitro fertilization clinic here in the province, and your concerns with the $5,000 subsidy through three cycles is not enough. But some people, it's a source of frustration, and they don't want to talk about it publicly. But unfortunately, and look, there will be error inside the world of humans being part of the healthcare system, but we've just got to do a better job on this front. But if you're one of the families impacted, we'd love to have you on the show this morning to talk about the entirety of fertility services and some of those privacy breaches that we have seen. All right, we're also reaching out to Twillingate Mayor Blackler. I don't know if you have had any luck, Fonts. And it's talking about dementia. And the mayor, I'm not exactly sure how the story goes, but he's becoming more and more aware of the prevalence of dementia in his community. Now striking a committee to talk about whether it be education and bus tours or entertainment or whatever it's going to look like for people with dementia and their caregivers. We have seen the numbers as forecasted by the Alzheimer's Society of Canada, just for your consideration. There's about 600,000 people in the country right now living with dementia. The forecasted number is over 955,000 people in Canada projected to be living with dementia in 2030. 124,000 is the number of people in Canada diagnosed with dementia just as recently as 2020. 61.8% of those living with dementia in 2020 were women it's like everything else when we see the trends and the different uh, age demographics and what their needs will be so good on the Mayor of Twillingate for looking at what a dementia friendly community will look like and the need for it and understanding the prevalence of dementia in the community so not only for the people diagnosed and living with dementia their caregivers and what community supports can make their life more manageable as you deal with a dreaded illness. So, uh, Mr. Mayor, if you have time this morning, we'd love to have you on the show. A couple of quick ones before we get to the break. So it looks like we might hear more about next steps into some all-party cooperation to where we go, whether it be some form of inquiry, public or otherwise, into foreign interference in our elections in 2019 and 2021. It's worth saying that foreign interference in many forms has been happening well before the 2019 election, But I do think it's important to get this right. So this week we're told we may find out where we're heading next. It probably does require all the parties to be somewhat in line, but the buck does stop in the Prime Minister's office, and I think the appetite is to have a clear understanding of what happened. And whatever next course is, public inquiry I think will be helpful, but we might find out a bit more. A couple of good news pieces before we go on to the break. So bravo Stephanie and Fraser Drover out in Briggs. So they're offering free tours around the community in a carriage that's uh, powered by an electric bike. And so what started off as, you know, something for the locals has become bigger and better and newer and more accessible. And so they've been doing this much to the delight of the locals and tourists alike. So uh, Mr. Well, I guess both his drovers say it's quite heartwarming to see the reaction. Anyone looking for a ride, you can contact the drovers on Facebook and book a ride in their electric vehicle, their electric bike powered carriage. I love that story, and also this one here. Hopefully, I can find it sooner than later. I can't find it, but I think I can remember enough about it. It's a guy named Scott Mesher, up in Happy Valley Goose Bay, and you know, through times where he's working through some troubles and some issues. He was taking scrap wood from other wood projects, sanding them down to make little wooden boats. And so through the jigs and the reels, he had about 100 in a box, and I think it was between him and his uh, granddaughter, they thought, let's do something about these, or with these. So you know the delight that people felt when they found one of those brightly painted rocks. What Mr. Mesher and his granddaughter did is they would hide these little wooden boats around different parts of Happy Valley Goose Bay for children to find. And, out, and taking great pleasure in it. And bravo to you, Scott. It's a great idea. We've heard some stories from the little children who have found the boats and were quite chuffed to find them and to keep them and do what they want with them. Whether it be hiding for another child to find, try to keep it in your own home and play with it with your buddies, but two good stories to get us off to the break. We're on Twitter or VOCM Open online. Follow us there. Our email address is open on afiosim.com. But my fave is when you join us live on the air, and the topic is entirely up to you. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Try to keep an eye on what's going on in and around the world of amateur sports, in particular, but whatever else we can celebrate any achievement by anybody or any team, regardless of the discipline, uh, in this province. So I want to say congratulations and good morning to the members of the under-17 Newfoundland and Labrador selects. They won a gold medal at the Quebec fast pitch tournament yesterday. So uh, congratulations, bravo. Let's go to line number one, if I can find my cursor. There we go. Jim, you're on the air.
2: Yes, boy. Yes, Patty. Uh, two quick questions. Uh, one is, uh, is the uh, food subsidy, grocery subsidy, the seniors or everybody got, I suppose, uh, is that taxable?
1: No. No.
2: Okay. Good, good, good. Okay. The other question, a little more complicated. All of these scams that are going on, uh, you know, everywhere around the world, really, I suppose, including here, uh, uh, you know, uh, I don't think I want. I often wonder if the courts are not taking it serious enough and giving uh, other than slap on the wrist penalties to these people. You know, when they're caught now, I realize that you can't do anything about the ones that are in, in our country, but the ones that are, are in our country and are caught, you know, why don't, they, why don't they make an example of them? You know, and I'm not just talking about the computer, I'm talking about the phone, mail, personal visits, everything, all the scams.
1: Uh, Fair enough. Uh, There was an arrest made some weeks back at St. John's International Airport. A guy was here pulling off the old grandparent scam. He's been charged with multiple counts of fraud, and let's hope that he's punished as he should be. But you mentioned the fact there's nothing we can do with out-of-country scammers. But in fact, I think there is. There's been some cooperation in different countries between the RCMP and this one story from India, where because we knew it was uh, rooted in and hosted by India, some of these scams that were ongoing, they cooperated with the Indian officials, and consequently, there was a raid and a bunch of arrests made. So that type of partnership is absolutely possible, yeah, and we there, should do more the, of it.
2: Yeah, but over there in that country, they probably just get a slap on the wrist anyway, you know, Cause, uh, you know it, with, the, with the Indian laws, you know.
1: Mm, I don't know. If I, I don't have the story in front of me, obviously, because I didn't know what we were going to talk about. But if I remember correctly, the penalty was pretty severe, financially and prison time. But I'll have a look for that story, cause that, just to refresh my memory.
2: I remember some years ago, if you remember, there's another station, I won't mention the station, you know the station, but anyway, there's another station that sent reporters over to India and uh, they found a scam centre in one of these cities, you know, one of these, uh, what do they call them? I forget there's a name on the boiler rooms, right? And where, you know, they appear, set up phones, do their scam, and then when the cops come, they're all gone. And it turns out that The locals, the the, the drug dealers in in Mexico, uh, they they, they help out the poor people around them so that they protect them from the police. They warn them when the cops are coming. So, you know, this kind of thing goes on.
1: It's ingrained in their society. The fear has taken over.
2: Yeah. Well, they're poor and they see any way of making money, including from us, they'll do it.
1: Yeah, you're right.
2: Anyway, I, I'd like to know, I don't know if you can get a lawyer on or somebody. I mentioned Callum, but it's like what well, he said, well, Callum's not a lawyer. Well, I know that. But at the same time, uh, someone who could comment on the, uh, you know, on the uh, should should they make an example of these people, the ones they do catch and can do anything about, you know what I mean?
1: I'd have to have a look uh, during the upcoming break of what kind of sentences or fines have been associated with folks who are scammers. Yeah. But, I mean, they're the epitome of evil. They recognize some folks are vulnerable, whether it be age-related or family issues or societal issues, whatever the case may be, preying on, you know, that story last week about this lady in Calgary who was separated from $500,000. People are calling her stupid and all the rest of it, but some people can find themselves quite vulnerable for a variety of reasons. So I'm happy to follow up on that because you're right. When I hear these stories, it's just absolutely infuriating. You know, we have to do all we can to protect ourselves, whether it be Speaking with our family about, look, this is a red flag, that's a red flag, don't do this, don't do that, just to try to protect them. Because there's going to be a new scam created every day in some part of the world, and it's coming looking for you and your money.
2: Don't you think that some of these countries uh, where, for instance, I'm just going to use Russia as an example, Russia, China, North Korea, whatever, some of these countries where... um Canada has been publicly criticising them for human rights and so on. Well, I mean, hmm. we may think justifiably, but the point is, when we constantly criticise them in the public, and now with, in Russia with the war and everything, we you know we've got to do something about that. But what I'm saying is, uh, if they find a scammer who's scamming us over there, uh, instead of uh, arresting him, they'd probably pat him on the back and ask him what help he needed. You know what I mean?
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know how the governments handle it necessarily, but. A lot of these cyber attacks, ransomware attacks that we've seen, it's been proven, apparently so, by justice officials here and elsewhere, that the countries you mentioned are big homes for them. Russia in particular, even, I think we've confirmed that some of the cyber attacks in this country originated from Russia. I don't know what their government does about it or how much they care about it, but without question, those people are dangerous.
2: I think they're coming from dictatorial countries, such as the one we mentioned. But I think they're also coming from countries uh, where uh, they have no proper government, and there's wars all the time, and there's, you know the only way people can find to make a living is by some crime. You know.
1: Yeah, and they've been protected. I I don't think you're out of bounds by saying that at all.
2: Exactly. Exactly.
1: Jim, appreciate the time.
2: Okay, that's it. Well, Take care.
1: Bye bye. You know, one of the stories, uh, questions being asked about the grocery rebate, and absolutely fair, is if you did your 2022 taxes and you were eligible for the GST rebate then you get the GST rebate. But you might not have gotten the grocery rebate on the 5th of July because the grocery rebate was evaluated based on your 2021 tax return. I don't know if anyone's adequately answered the question as to why that's the case because the price of groceries is the price of groceries. Certainly, I'm sure there's exceptions, but out of the 11 million Canadians who qualify for the grocery rebate, I don't think a whole lot of them, their lot in life changed dramatically between 2021 and 2022. So if there's something there, and someone said, you know, maybe it encapsulates the uh, last bit of some of the pandemic supports. They had dwindled pretty much for most people throughout the course of 2021. But it's probably a fair observation that maybe just maybe on the revenue side, some Canadians probably did a little bit better with pandemic supports than they did after the supports dried up. And so consequently, maybe that was a factor brought in by the federal government to use 21 versus 22 for the grocery rebate. And, you know, same thing, you know, I guess they do uh, math calculations on these things as to how much money they're willing to put out. Now, Look, if you think that the grocery rebate is straight up uh, political pandering, I can understand that. It's probably absolutely true. Now, I'm sure some members of the government would like to do what they can to help people through really difficult, stubborn fluid inflation times. But, you know, the, the throwaway observation by some is oh, it's just pandering. I'm sure it's helpful for some. We don't know how people are going to spend money that comes in the door, whether it's earmarked for child, uh, child, children living in poverty or a grocery rebate or whatever the case may be. But it would be helpful to know a bit more about it. It reminds me of the 10% increase in old age security for Canadians 75 years of age and older versus everyone who's uh, receiving OAS from 65 up. And the uh, numbers there are clear. The government said, and I mean some of this is fairly flimsy, is that, you know, there's more expenses associated the older you get, and that may indeed be true, but there's plenty of 65-year-old Canadians that receive OAS that have very similar bills, very similar issues to those who are 75-plus, but there were savings to be had. So they were left out of that particular pocket of money, and... I think that's just based on political calculation. Anyway, let's see. One more check-in on the Twitter box for VOCM Line. You know what to do. Uh, this morning's a good time to get on the program. Topic is absolutely up to you. If you're in and around town, 2735211. Elsewhere, toll-free, long distance, one 888 590 VOCM which is 86.26. we're taking a break and then we're coming back welcome back to the program well we like to round up the around off the preamble with some good news stories as much as we can find them and one of the ones we mentioned uh, this morning was Adam Briggis a Stephanie and Fraser Drover offering the free accessible rides around the community and their carriage powered by an electric bicycle and thankfully Stephanie Drover joins us on line number one good morning Stephanie you're on the air
3: Hi, good morning. Thank I- you for the invite.
1: Happy to have you on. And listen, bravo. This is a great initiative.
3: Yes, we're, we're very pleased at the response that we've gotten.
1: I'm sure you were. Let's talk about the inspiration to do exactly what you're doing. What happened?
3: Um, well, we have a special needs child, and uh, we bought this type of vehicle when we were in Labrador City. And two years ago, we retired to the Briggs area. and Of course, the, the uh, bicycle came with us. And we would take Kaylee quite often, or my husband would take Kaylee quite often around town. And we did notice a bunch of tourists and we had, you know, local people. And we knew of others who found it very difficult to get around town, uh, who didn't no longer own cars or whose um, children were working during the day and they were, you know, uh, caught in their house, I guess, for hours on end or weeks on end, uh, not able to get out, especially after COVID. And we thought we'd offer the services to uh, people that we knew. That's how it started. To say, hey, would you like to go for a ride? Would you like to get in around Burgess and see the sites? And we had a number of people who took us up on the offer. So uh, then we said, hey, let's put it on the beautiful Burgess site, which is a beautiful site. It tells us all about the community which, which we live in. And this year, we put it on the site, and uh, it just went off like wildfire. It's it's absolutely amazing with so many shares and so many calls. And uh, we're happy to give this service to people, older people, with mobility issues or certainly with uh, anybody with special needs
1: children. How frequently are you out on the road?
3: Well, we've had uh, about five or six inquiries over the last couple of days since the story went out. Um, people from various parts of the province who's coming to bring us, um, uh, wanting and, and booking a ride. And when we're out and about, of course, we have people uh, people stop and, and ask where we got the bike and, you know, ask if they would we mind getting a little ride around town. So uh, whenever Fraser goes out, he gets interest and uh, generally uh, a ride or two.
1: I think it's wonderful. So, are people asking for like purpose travel, whether it be to the shop or to the cafe or something, or is it just out having a blast around town?
3: I was just having a blast around town. That's that's all. We just want a little tour around town on a beautiful day. There's so many sights here in Bruges to see. Like many of the small provinces that we have, we're just lucky enough to live in a very beautiful one, and we're very proud to live here. and And we like to promote it. And same goes if we're walking and tourists stop, we love to we love to tell them here there or, or wherever to go visit so and fraser likes to chat so on the <laughs> bike uh talking to people is something he loves to do as well
1: do you ever take the take the reins
3: no not i, I wouldn't bring tourists out um but i could i suppose i maybe i need to start doing that um, no, I get out and I'd, I'd go out go myself, but I wouldn't take anybody. Uh, he enjoys it, so it's okay for him to do it. I stay home and watch Kaylee and keep things going here.
1: Sounds about right. So it's one thing for the the locals, the seniors, the folks with the mobility issues, and or tourists, and to get their reaction, but there's got to be a big sense of feel good for yourself and Fraser.
3: Oh, it really is. I mean, it didn't start out that way. It started out, you know, just trying to do try to get back to a community. I mean, I lived in Labrador City, which is Probably one of the most thoughtful communities a person can live in. So that's the type of for 30 years, and my husband grew up there. That's the type of environment we grew up in, where people did what they could for people on a daily basis. So it's something we raised our how we raised our kids that way, and we lived our lives that way. And when we moved here back to Briggs, which is a community that I grew up in, I grew up the same way when I was a kid. So uh, it was just really doing what we're used to doing, and you know, it's it's. It's turned into something very positive, and we can't be more pleased than we with this.
1: I think it's wonderful. I'm really glad you made time for us this morning. You know, the whole sense of community working towards their collective goals and you know helping each other out a bit more, it was absolutely a, fe- a feature of the province in many communities for many, many decades. I'm not so sure we've strayed away from that a little bit, and it would be helpful to get back to that sort of mindset because it's a busy life, You know, looking out for number one is easily understood, it's human nature, but there's a community out there, if more people thought the way that you and Fraser did, just maybe, maybe some of the other stresses of life would be eased somewhat. So congratulations to you both. Please do indeed say hello to Fraser for me. Enjoy the rest of your summer.
3: I will, and uh, if there's anybody out there who would uh, like to look into something like this, if you're in the Brigus area, just get me on Facebook or Fraser on Facebook, and we'll certainly try to get you in if we can. And uh... Yeah, it's wonderful, and, and let's, hope, uh, let's hope lots of other people get inspired a little tiny bit to do something for their for their community, and lots do. Oh, yeah, uh, of course. Know, maybe just a few more now.
1: Absolutely right. Building on what's already there is always a great idea. Stephanie, I appreciate your time this morning. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Stephanie Drover, her and husband Fraser are behind this new, accessible, free opportunity to hop in the carriage and have a tour around an absolutely beautiful community that is Briggs and busy out there, boy. Last time I was in Briggis, of course, many, many people from this neck of the woods have a weekend spot or a summer spot out in Briggis, so it's been built up dramatically over the last number of years. But good on the drovers. I really like that story. Same one with the, the story from Labrador. I told you about Scott Mesher, and he's sanding down old bits of wood from other wood projects to hide these little wooden boats around the community. So, you know, Sometimes there's obviously a need to focus in on some of the big stories of the day, the big pressure points, and some of the politics. But every now and then, pepper in the show with those types of stories is a little bit easy on the head. For, I would imagine it's easy on the head for the listeners as well, because sometimes it's easy enough to get overwhelmed with some of the other issues that are plaguing us. Now, a couple of emails regarding the wind Projects. One person in particular, and it's kind of a repeated message from this, uh, it's a man, I'm pretty sure, is that this is all hoax stuff, and we're being duped by Corporate Canada or what have you. At this moment in time, there is indeed money from the federal government inside the world of clean tech. So upwards of 30% for some of these projects that qualify in full. So there's absolutely federal supports coming, which is, of course, our money as much as provincial taxes paid is our money. But at this moment in time, the province is not in for any position. Any loans, any breaks, uh, no partnerships, all of these things. We're not putting any money on the table. So there are some protections afforded to us there, and it's the only... Smart way to proceed here. Yes, it's in its infancy, and yes, the opportunities for growth are absolutely real as far as I can tell when you look around the world and they're looking to markets for the production of hydrogen and ammonia and to import them for their own energy needs. Seems to me that the uh, community of Stephenville and the province and the federal government and the country of Germany seem to be pretty set on power purchase agreements, whatever that looks like in the world of hydrogen and ammonia. I don't know, but the appetite is absolutely there. So inside the question of what's in it for us. Look, all the numbers associated with these nine projects, we only know eight in particular, or eight for sure, that have been part of moving forward out of the 24 bids that were initially on the table. The numbers of construction jobs, now of course, uh, long-term operational jobs, possibly not huge, but the construction phase jobs are absolutely huge. One project talking about 5,000 jobs during that phase, others talking about 2,000 jobs during that phase. I mean, if you can only imagine, if you're a community, say, for instance, like Botwood. They talk about the heyday for population and uh, economies of scale and the industries that once supported the community are not what they once were. And so consequently, this sort of economic shot in the arm is most welcome. There is not every community in every one of these areas associated with these projects are huge on it, whether it be environmental concerns or what people might say is an eyesore with these massive wind turbines but there's going to be tons of communities that are all in because they see it as potentially, not to overstate it, but the possible savior of their community. You know, the possibility for not only people who are living there to get work there, but to keep young people from leaving because that's going to be the trick for a lot of these communities. Without the current enrollment in schools and the number of young people looking for a job And maybe not a job in some of the more traditional industries, but different types of jobs. And consequently, looking to maybe more urban centers or looking outside the province. That's going to be where we go inside of this world of trying to ensure that whether or not some of these communities have a long-term viable future. Because it's a big question for many of them. This is a story. Someone just sent it to me via email, but I actually read it earlier this morning as well. I suppose absolutely worth talking about. Because this is growing more and more every day as well. It's the self-checkouts. So, you've probably heard me say in the past that, you know, innovation and technology is going to be supported by jobs and people who need to, whether be create them and to fix them and install them and what have you, but we will see some jobs replaced by tech. It's inevitable. And one such job is working at the cash at a retail outlet because now your job is performed by a self-checkout machine. You know, I've thought in the past that since these companies are able to, reduce the number of jobs, and consequently reduce the amount of remuneration paid to their employees, they should probably, or we should kind of try to figure out what that means with a fee, possibly. But here's the overarching problem for many, is because the companies who have installed these machines are experiencing more theft, then, I mean, that just stands to reason whether it be people playing uh, uh, recklessly or purposefully trying to rob something because you're not forced to put it in the front of the cashier who scans it. You know, people might leave something in their bag. And so in these operations where their theft numbers have increased, they kind of want it both ways, right? They want to reduce their costs regarding human resources. And then, so they'll hire a security guard to replace a cashier. You go through the self-checkout, which may or may not be monitored by staff. And so they demand that you stop and produce your receipt and so they can examine what's in your bag and the last time we talked about something like this people said well they do it at Costco but apparently when you sign and agree to all the terms and conditions regarding your Costco membership they tell you right there in black and white we are going to check your receipt and look in your cart before we let you out of the store okay but in these other operations not so much right I don't have a membership at Canadian Tire or Walmart or have you and so they're saying okay give me your receipt I wanna have a look in your bag People are sometimes emboldened because there might be an excuse available where, oh, well, maybe it didn't scan, I tried to scan it, I had a problem using the machine, and da-da-da-da-da. But the Canadian Civil Liberties Association is quite clear on this one. So, again, for the companies, I'm sure they want to try to reduce the amount of theft, but if you're asked for your receipt and told you have to stop, unless they have seen you commit the crime of shoplifting, then you don't have to oblige. You can say, no, thanks, and just keep walking. Now, I don't know what that might mean for certain interactions in some of these stores, but that's what they say clearly from the Canadian Civil Rights Association is, yeah, all you have to say is thanks, but no thanks. So for these companies who are trying to reduce their cost and to potentially treat their customers like criminals, even though they didn't see them do anything wrong, then maybe, just maybe, Cake can eat it too. There's a reason why that's not available to most. Let's go ahead and take a break. Don't go away.
0: Start your day off right. Get the latest updates on news, traffic, and weather conditions, plus interviews with today's newsmakers, your go-to source before you get on the go. 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays, your VOCM mornings.
1: Welcome back. Let's go to line number one. Good morning, Bob. You're on the air.
4: Yes, good day, Patrick. Good morning to you, um, sir. This is a beautiful day, and thank you, sir, for taking my car.
1: No problem. What's on your I- mind?
4: I'm uh, uh, my uh, I'm really teed up, upset. I had my truckle, and I had to bring it to a garage in St. John's. And I went in, uh, and to get my truckle back after two weeks waiting, uh, I went up to pay my bill, and I was it was eight thousand five hundred and thirty-five dollars.
1: What was wrong with the truck for an eight thousand dollar bill? Well, I got to receive all it is as electrical.
4: Electrical. My God almighty, how can people afford it? And I had to pay to get my truckle back. And now the truckle is out in the air now. I come home with it. And I want not start again. I phoned the garage back. And they just, just about told me to go, if I.
1: Well, that's unnecessary. Bob, did they tell you what they were going to do and how much it was going to cost before they went ahead and did the repair?
4: No. They told me it was going to be expensive. Expensive to me is $500, $1,000. That's expensive to me, but it was $8,500. It's unreal. I'm on a fixed income. I only get $1,428 a month. How can you do that? So a senior says, "I worked hard all my life to keep things going, to keep things moving, and now you get kicked when you're down." My good God Almighty, have we got any mercy on us?
1: That's a whopping big bill, Bob. One thing for sure is, you know, everyone when you go to the garage, it should be absolutely this way and no other way. Is they need to have a look and call me and tell me exactly what has to be done, exactly how much is going to cost before they touch it. That's what I would hope.
4: I agree with that, sir. You're 100% right. But all I asked them. I said, my truckle will once start, uh, would you please get her going for me? And they called me back, and they said, uh, after a week and a half, they said, they're waiting on parts to come in from away. I can understand that uh, uh, They said, it's electrical. That's all they told me. And when I went in to pick up my trucker, and uh, they chose this at me, I almost fell on the floor.
1: I'm sorry to hear it happen. So they're not going to do anything about the fact that so recently after you got the truck back that it won't start again? They're not going to do anything?
4: Not a thing. Not a thing. Not a thing, sir. They're really rude to me. Really rude. I, I, I won't name the name of the company. I will if I get them. But I'm going to see me lawyer and see if there's anything they can do. But uh, I, I, I called my lawyer, and I spoke to him, and he said, Mr. Tucker, he said, they're all out to rob you to this day and age. They're not out to help you no more. They want your money, and they don't give a damn about you. I'm upset. Very upset.
1: You are, Bob. I actually have a number. So I can't find it right in front of me at this Moment, but right. I'm going to give you a number. Myself or France are going to call you back here now very shortly, Bob. I have a place where I you can turn to file a complaint and maybe get some satisfaction. So if you just stick around the phone here for the now, the next little bit, and I will fans, will give you a shout back. I've got, I can't I find it right in front of me. Sorry, go ahead.
4: I don't want to torment you, Patrick. You're a good man. You know, it's good for people. If there were more people in this world like you, I'd be a better world.
1: Some people might argue that one. Um, uh, listen, Bob, Fonz will call you back soon with the number, okay?
4: I appreciate that, Patrick. Yep. And all your listeners, have a good day. And thank you very much for taking my call.
1: My pleasure, Bob. Talk to you again soon. Take care. May the old man I'll be with you. Thank you, Bob. Same to you. Bye-bye. Bye. Yeah, the whole way that vehicles now, I mean, even the backyard mechanics have very little luck, whether it be very specialized tools required to do it, do anything under the hood, even just to change a tail light or something has become a big arduous ordeal. And yeah, even for the analytics done to see what electrical issue you might have in your vehicle is extremely costly. So as much as it is advanced technologically speaking, doesn't mean it's made it any better. So We'll see if I... I do have a number for Bob to call to some people have had a little bit of success with. I'll find that now during the upcoming news. Uh, let's go to line number two. Good morning, John. You're on the air.
5: Oh, wait one second. I not miss. Yes, good morning, sir. morning to you. I don't want to talk about pay parking at the hospitals. Okay. Now, uh, my brother went in there in March, you know, and... You know, having to pay, then I think it's shameful. Myself I said, I got to go out and pay down the hospital to go and visit someone. You know, I mean, they took the sugar tax. Why not take that and put it towards? It? I mean, you know, uh, if you go in there, say if I went in there lunchtime to visit somebody, and you're, you know you say went out to visit someone, and you lose your tickets, it's twelve bucks to get your car out. Yeah, you know, it's crazy. I mean, I mean, like down the Miller Center. Uh, and I, you know, I had a family member end up down there last week. End the in our center. They only charge for parking eight hours a day. Now, is there, how much is there really that much revenue in eight hours of lousy a day? And not only that, you got to go inside, punch in your license plate number, and then you pay your your, your dollar an hour. Now, the best part about what they got to figure out is they got my license plate number. They know when I went in. So, and I watched them. I mean, they as soon as basically someone's times out, they're out putting a ticket on your window. You know, and, and you're down at Miller Centre. I'm going to tell you something. The first thing in your mind is going out there and worrying about a parking ticket because you got a loved one in there that you don't know. You do know what's going to happen, eventually. you know what I'm saying? you know, And, and I don't think it's right. I mean, I think it's time for the government. Like, I mean, if we got a, a premier there now that's a doctor. Of all people, I'm sure that he's up to the scene. Many people in that hospital that you know yourself, you probably do, that sometimes you get a phone call and what do you do? You grab your car keys... A lot of people running through that door with their pyjamas on. They don't have their wallet. They don't have nothing with them. Only one thing they're on their mind, the person that's in the hospital, they got her probably in the car accident, and they've had a heart attack, and, you know, and then you come out and there's a ticket on your on your windshield of your car. Like, I mean, I think it's time that uh, this got to stop. I mean, as I said down at Minnet Centre, is there that much money in 40 hour lousy hours a week? To collect a dollar an hour off a few people that got someone down in the hospital dying down there?
1: Uh, look, You know, even at the health sciences, when you go ahead and take your ticket from the machine and you pay at the machine on the way out, at least it keeps people from having to run out repeatedly all day long to feed the meter. But there's an argument that uh, people have tried to make over the years that even paying for parking contravenes Canada's Health Act. I don't know if that's a real solid legal argument, but I know it's frustrating when you're dealing with something which is probably the most emotional and traumatic thing we deal with is someone who's Mm -hmm. belonged to you who's sick.
5: I mean we went through this for just about three months. Do you know what I mean? You're down at hospital like us. In the first thing in mind is worrying but uh, your are up by the door. And I mean, uh, like I don't. I, I, we we, got, we have a premier now that's a, a doctor, and I'm sure there's other people in that in in, in 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 the government that are have something to do with the healthcare system that in their lifetime. And what did you just sit back and say? Maybe you know we take. Well, that stupid sugar tax they invented. Why not take that and put the money towards it? I mean, Tom, they buy all these machines, like, down, especially the Miller Center, to do all this stuff. Is there actually any money into it? Or is there some company, I don't know what name, there's a company name on on that machine there. Are they actually making any big amount of money to actually do this, to start with,
1: you know? I I would know, and I don't know how clearly all that stuff is broken down inside the The now one regional health authority, but I suppose we can try and figure it out. But, the, you know, if we're going to be paying for parking, then implement what is, a, you know, a better system than the Miller Center would be. Take a ticket, pay at the machine on the way out, stick it in the machine, up goes the arm, off you go. It doesn't make it feel any better to have to pay for parking, but at least you won't come out and you're a couple of minutes late and you all of a sudden find yourself a ticket on the windshield. There's something that can be, there's better out there than that
5: yeah like they', they it's paid parking five days a week from eight to four and I'm going to tell you i've I've been there early in the mornings so and night on also and at eight o'clock in the morning, you'll see probably twenty people running through the door running through the door uh, or or down to the, t- the machine there to to get their ticket so they don't so this these these guys are not out because as soon as their time is up, I guarantee you, they they got them on the computer that's well, I got figured there now because they know when I punched in. And they know when my time is up, and guess what they're doing? They're out in the parking as I watch them, putting tickets on people's cars. And there's only one little machine inside, and this road up there, strictly enforced, is, is there, right in front of you. That's the thing, you know. What are you going to do soon? now start booting the cars down there, already You know?
1: I don't know. I, I think they're pretty strict in that area for a variety of reasons. Number one, they think they, have, they owe it to people to ensure that the fines are at least put forward, whether or not people pay them. But that's a location where you can use it as a place to park to do a variety of things, head down to Kitty Vitty or head up Signal yeah. Hill or head towards the downtown. And so I guess they're trying to avoid it being, you know, a secondary parking lot for those types of uh, adventures. But, John, I appreciate and understand your frustration.
5: Yeah, I remember the thing is with that. Well, if, if that's the case, why not if, I, if I'm rushing in there and, you know, I'm not worried about my Parking. Why not when I come out, have some kind of heart and say, listen, well, I've been in the palliative care unit, basically visiting someone, and I didn't have time to put a, 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 a punch in my plate, and I had a rush in there. Why not have some kind of heart and say, okay, sir, like, you know, we understand, okay, we're going to let you go, and we'll, we'll, we'll get rid of the ticket for you. At least do that much.
1: Yeah, I, I, I would imagine for the employees, once they have punched out that ticket, then that's out there. So that would be up to management for some sort of forgiveness, because I, I don't even think they have any wiggle room, whether it be their ticket book or the digital palm, palm unit that they use that may indeed record the fact they did issue a ticket. So I don't even know if they have room to show a little bit of heart at that point. But again, that's not me defending them. That's I think they're, you know, just like a bylaw officer. I had a guy yelling at me downtown this number of years ago. Uh, I recognized the car as belonging to one of my pals because I was heading down to meet him. (laughs) And so I parked right across the street from him. I saw the parking meter guy coming, and I could see back in those days you'd have the little red tab flipped up to show that the meter was expired. I noticed it. I went across to put in a couple of quarters, and the bylaw officer told me that was against the law, and I wasn't allowed to do it. So I thought, (laughs) well, you'll have to arrest me then because I'm throwing in 50 cents. For me, buddy.
5: Yeah, it's, it's crazy what's going on. In me. I mean, of all people, I'm sure the Premier, like I said, he's a doctor. Uh, he's seen a lot of heartache over the years of people uh, going in that hospital. And I said, like I said, and not be worrying about paying a, a, a lousy couple. And I know it's not very much money, but I'm telling you, after two or three months, and you've got a lot of family members going to, it's a good dollar. Like, believe me.
1: I appreciate the time, John. Thanks for this.
5: Take care, take care. Bye-bye. You're
1: welcome. Bye-bye. All right, uh, let's take a break for the news. When we come back, plenty of show left for you. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number three. Johnny, you're on the air. Hi, Paddy. How are you doing this morning? Very well, thanks. How about you? I
6: appreciate you uh, taking the call here. I'm a concerned parent, uh, I guess, like every other parent here in Newfoundland and Labrador, uh, with regards to what's being taught in our schools now, with regards to, I guess, sex and sexuality and gender identity. Uh, um, I, I've got no problem with that because I got I got no problem with it being to some degree taught to kids, but not on the degree that it's being taught. Like uh, for school, I always thought it was reading, writing, arithmetic and, you know, history and stuff like that. But I think it should be left, sexuality should be left to the parents. And to me, it seems like the school, or the, I should say the government and the school are taking over the roles of psychologists and psychologists, you know, but that should be dealt with, you know, you have an issue or you have gender dysphoria, which is a, you know, a medical condition, you should be treated by someone professional. I
1: don't and think they're trying to treat anybody who you know, has a question about their uh, gender identity, but like, just let me ask you this, Johnny. Yes. So parents' concern with how their children are protected or what they're exposed to is a natural emotion for parents to feel. So... Yes. When it comes to sex, we're sexual beings. And what happens if there's a household that doesn't want to or doesn't know how to approach the conversation because their children, when they're not at home, and maybe even when they're at home on their laptop or on their uh, iPad or on their phone or talking with their pals, sexuality is everywhere we look. It's in pop music, it's on television, it's on the big screen at the movies. So it's almost impossible to avoid so what happens if the family doesn't broach that question or those conversations with their children and they're ill-informed or they get their information on the schoolyard from young people their age who don't know what they're talking about? Oh, that's true. But I, the thing is, I agree with you there, but the
6: thing is, if, if the child who has problems and can't reach out at home and they do go to the school and reach out to a guidance counsellor, whoever, yes, but then the guidance counsellor should get involved, get a, a psychiatrist or a psychologist. Like, they, they can't... Like they shouldn't be, they shouldn't be dabbling in that. That's that's not their, that's not their thing. And and like, you know, I I I'm not transphobic or or gay boy or whatever it is phobia. I got no phobia, but what like, I got no problem with gay pride. I got gay friends, but it seems like the the the, the movement has moved from, uh, to me, has moved from like you know these these people this group of people. Gain their rights, they gain their quality rights, you know, and they gain their respect to the community. But now it's gone like to, they're like, they're like a mafia. Like you go, you see on TV or see on things, like they're screaming at people. And, and like, just because I don't agree with you doesn't mean I need to scream. Like, we can sit down and have a, a, a talk about this, right? Like, it seems like it's moved into a, a different, a different, different, different way. And, and it's like my, my children, I got two children in school, and I don't want, uh, I don't need anyone to teach my children sexuality and and, and uh, to send them home saying they can be a boy and be a girl. You're born a boy. You're born a boy. You got X Y chromosomes. It is what it is. Like and and going pushing more than two genders on like kids. Like it's they're they're confused enough as children. They are right. And the first shiny thing that you show them, they'll take it. And like that's the thing with kids. If if you know if you're Yes, if they got a problem with their sexuality and they think they should be a boy or a girl or whatever, or vice versa, let them see a psycho a psychiatrist or a psychologist. But like don't like, let them get old enough to make these decisions. Like we got as parents here in they right now we got no we got no right, uh, like consent consent. Like they got, they sent home a, a letter to us. Oh, your children can change their uh, uh, their, their gender identity or their and, and, and power school and I said like with no consent of the parents like they go on a field trip we've got to sign, sign we go to, we go to sign a paper they go to the doctor we've got to sign a paper in operation like it's 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 too much I think it's too much for schools like sex and children do not belong in the same sentence Johnny, that's just me and, and, and I think what they're doing they're, they're sexualizing children it is what it is and and our premier is not going to do nothing because you know he's so far up that way he's you know you can barely see round new your boots It is what it is, you know, but I wish we had a premier like in New Brunswick who stood up for the parents and for the children and said, listen, parents need to be involved in these decisions. And it's not happening here in Newfoundland. And and as long as, you know, as long as we got Premier Fury there, it's not going to change because he's he's right in with this... uh, liberal ideology that is what it is right?
1: well i mean the the sexual curriculum is not vastly different across the country it's different than how different premiers or different school boards talk about it with parents and or keep information from parents or allow children to do x y or z so parents should be involved in their child uh their child's life education and all all through every walk of life i mean i understand that johnny but let's just say this you know The the thought that talking about it is sexualizing them to be exposed to predators or whatnot, that's where I think the conversation gets a little bit lost because you have to imagine that 99.9% of the teachers who are delivering the curriculum that's delivered to them by the government, regardless of what province they're living in, they're doing it for awareness about respect, self-respect, protecting yourself, understanding what's actually happening in the world. Because I think one of the questions that gets left unattended is at what age do we think that our children are finding out or hearing about or talking about or reading about these different types of things. So in a formalized setting where you remove the embarrassment because everyone's hearing the same thing in the same classroom, you're sitting alongside your fellow students, so you, know, you take away some of that embarrassment or confusion because at what age do people think that their children are understanding or hearing about sex, whether it be uh, heterosexual sex or homosexuality or transgenders or whatever, at some point we have to acknowledge that they're going to hear it. And it's how they hear yeah, yeah. Is, yeah. is the issue for me. Don't
6: to, I don't think they need to hear. It. I don't. Need, I don't think they need to hear it at eight, nine years old. And I, like when I was going to school, and I know that I'm fifty year old now. When I went to school, I didn't know what my teachers, uh, who my teachers slept with, or who they were interested in, or who they wanted to sleep with. Like there was none of that. Like it was like let the children. I think it was, let the children grow up. Like if, if they have problems, yes, take them to. Or like I said, they can't do. They can't you with their at home. Yes, I, more than welcome to school to step in and so say, listen, we're going to settle up with a stone so, you see a psychologist or a psychologist, this. But, like, they, like, they shouldn't have no, they shouldn't, they shouldn't stick their nose in where they, where they don't belong, the other subject. Like, so, this can't be, teachers shouldn't be, or teachers or counsellors. You know, they, they shouldn't be doing that. Like, they, if, if, if there's a problem with a child and the child comes to them, they get the responsibility to help that child. Not, not, not what they think, let let a
1: professional do
6: it. Not they're not professionals, not even close. So like,
1: yeah, but they but they're, but they're not the trying to. Uh, they're not doing evaluations and prescribing supports or counseling or medical intervention or what have you. So I I understand that, but I don't think that's what teachers are actually doing inside the delivery of the curriculum. They're bringing in drag queens in schools, Patty. There's something wrong.
6: It, know, it is what well, it is. Like you know, I. I Drag queens are meant for drag queens, not to bring in the schools and not to parade around in front of children. No, it's not. It's not. That's not it's, not. it's not. It's not the way it's supposed as to be. As long like. as
1: there's nothing sexually provocative and they're fully clothed, I, I I don't really understand what the problem there will be. But you mentioned you know you're about fifty, so we're about the same age. But what yep. we, you know, let me just take it a step further, and I'll get your reaction to it. Yes. We didn't celebrate or talk about uh... the sexuality of our teachers because we just understood, for the most part, unless they were deeply in the closet and pretending they were something different than what they present in the classroom as a teacher or another parent, is because it was all heterosexuality. That's all people were willing to accept and to understand, for the most part, in society. So when we had the hockey team won the championship, we had no problem with their wives coming down to celebrate with them. When the golfer won the U.S. Open, we had no problem with his wife and children coming out. But now that there is, maybe the golfer wins, and out comes his husband. Or the, w- w- the woman wins and out comes her wife. It just, for some, is so different and so not what they're used to and not what they grew up as the norm that it becomes very difficult for people to adjust their thinking as to, well, this is actually happening. And like in the classroom, for instance, let's just say I'm, I'm five years old. So we're not talking about sex acts. We're recognizing the fact that young Johnny living next door, uh, sitting in the desk inside of me, has two dads. And, you know, I have a mom and a dad. It's different. So unless we just even acknowledge that that's actually happening, that's something that's in society, it doesn't mean that we want you to be a homosexual, we don't want, need or want you to be confused about your gender, but if it's out there and it's part of the community, to actually understand that it's happening, it's probably a good thing to protect our children, not to expose them to danger, but to actually protect them, because there's nothing wrong with Shane or Johnny having two moms or two dads. So I think that's part of what kind of gets lost here. We just generally accept it and didn't care. And we're quite open-minded to the fact that, you know, mom and dad are at home. You know, that whole nuclear family. You know, the white picket fence, two and a half kids, and a mom and a dad. And, of course, that's not the th- reality for a lot of families. Now, it's a small percentage when we compare to the traditional family. But traditional doesn't mean that it never changes because change is the only constant in this world so I understand your point as to uh, you know wanting to be part of the conversation you know your child you don't want to be felt like you're left out of the loop and full have no say have no control of your own children because you absolutely do belong in the conversation like I belong in the conversation with my children but mom and dad was the only norm accepted for so long so now that there's a pendulum has swung even just a few millimeters it becomes difficult to you know even understand when we should be talking about this what we should be talking about what should the parents be, acceptable. Should be talk, the parents should be talking to these kids yeah, I think I, th- I talk to my parents I talk to my kids if, if they see two men
6: going home hands and say dad what's going on I said well you know they're they're they you know that's my place not the like I, I to me like said so Patty it's, it's the, the kids are confused as they are like I I, I grew up uh, uh, not disabled but I had a lot of problems and I wasn't comfortable with my body but I didn't go change for no one else, you know what I'm saying? And, and no one pushed me towards that. Like if My young fellow's gay. He's gay. I, that's, it is what it is. But you can't be pushing them saying, well, I think, you know, people tell I think you, you, maybe you're a girl. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy,
1: right? Yeah. So but what happens, Johnny, and I appreciate the conversation and a level-headed nope. one at that, what happens yep. if there's the family that as soon as that question is asked by their child, regardless of their age, What's that, Mom or Dad, with these two women holding hands or two men holding hands, what have you? And if they have a built-in moral or societal problem with it, and then next thing you know, that child may indeed think that there's a problem with these people, and they can't be trusted, and they're a problem, and they're a predator, and those types of conversations, which absolutely do happen, then I think that that child gets their mind somewhat poisoned because those two men or two women that were walking through the mall holding hands are quite likely to have never done anything wrong to themselves or others, adults or children. Ever, they simply love, the love one another. So, if yeah. some mom or dad says they're a problem, and we've had calls on this, they're the devil. They're, you know, a societal issue. We can't trust them. We have to be afraid of them. Then I think we got ourselves a problem that can grow. So, just talking about acceptance yeah. is well, different than pushing have a sex sword, on them. That's a double-edged sword
6: because. You know, I know what you're saying, and you're right. You know, yes, it, it, people will say old or bad and all that. Yes, but, but then again, you're, you're having teachers or counselors with their own ideology. That's the thing. You, got to, you, you you got to take them out of the equation because they're not qualified to even talk to children about sexuality or talk to them because they're not qualified. they they, they got their own motives and they got their own agendas. Same as myself, right? Like if I see something, this is the way I think. Same as you. But we don't all think the same, right? And you just said it. Like you said, you know, this, you know, parents. Two two parents might say, well, they're gay. Look, they're, they're not sitting over there. But on the other hand, then you need to take the teachers or the counselors, and they're going to take their their what they think about stuff, and they shouldn't they shouldn't have no they shouldn't have no say in it because it shouldn't go that far with with teachers or counselors because it should be dealt with professionals because a lot of this stuff it is what it is. It's. It's mental illness
1: and they're now not covered but it's not, ment- not it's not a mental illness though Johnny see You're that's general t- gender, gender dypho is't mental illness no yes, it's it not it, it, once it was once labeled like that but it's it's Nothing it's not it, it, but, but it's you not can't that. pretend to be somebody else you just can't just yeah
6: you can go around dressed up all day like a woman I can do it all day but am I a woman no I'm not and and I can get Stuff chopped off me, and I'm still not a
1: woman. We should never even have conversations about physical manipulation until they're actual adults. That much I think. Uh, like regardless of what people uh, think about my thoughts of the matter, awesome. I don't think those things should ever happen until you're the age of majority. You I mean if I exactly. can't buy liquor or drive or vote until well. a certain age, then certainly well. when it comes with long-term ramifications, you should have, uh, you should grow to a certain age to before you can move on to simply dressing, uh, at yes. whatever way or taking whatever puberty or pardon me hormone replacements and things but physical manipulation i I think has to wait johnny i do have to go there should be an age yes i appreciate the time i agree okay thanks take care bye-bye all right let's take a break aaron's there to talk about st don't go away
0: stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your vocm join linda swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you news talk on your vocm
1: Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number one. Erin, you're on the air.
7: Good morning, Patty. Morning to you. I'm just calling in response to the gentleman calling about the parking there earlier at the hospitals. Now, I can't really speak towards health science much as St. Clair's. I worked security there for eight years. Um, I do know that we were pretty lenient when it came to parking. Like, I mean, if somebody came to us after with a parking ticket, they did have an emergency or they forgot to pay to meet or they couldn't find parking because parking is absolutely impossible down there especially during the day as he was saying people could be lined up out the door for their appointments but i mean i know that when i'm only give up there about two years and we were pretty good when it came to the parking there um, like the we were yellow shirts blue shirts now um, we're just the regular guards and we're doing what our supervisors tell us to and uh... You know, just trying to... Because there's parking's impossible down at St Clair's. There's, there's none. And, you know, it is really hard when you have elderly people trying to come in to get to their appointments or there is an emergency. But, like I said, if someone come out and have, like, a conversation with the security down there at the next time, I know that we were pretty good in <clears throat> uh, probably, you know, talking to our supervisor and stuff and getting it taken back, um, you know, that's their record or whatever. But uh, in regards to, I just kind of want to touch on security there in general. Um, like I said, I worked there for eight years, and it was a tough job. People might not realize it, but uh, we dealt with a lot of stuff down there in the emergency department and up on the floors that, you know, people think, you know, it's just security or just stood there. Nobody has a clue what, what, we endured, what we endured there at all. Like, it's a, it can be a pretty rough and scary place this day and age to work and especially during covid we just got thing after thing after thing piled on that we had to do because we were at the front lines of covid we were at the doors we were letting people in we were screening people um you know we were literally there at the front line and i don't think that the security got enough recognition for that at all um for for everything that they'd on there and uh my, well, like myself included, I worked there during the whole pandemic, and it was scary times, trying times, but, uh, you know, we were literally, like I said, at the doors, at the front lines, and it was just one thing piled on after another, and our pay never got increased, that's for sure, and uh, our patients had to, but our pay never, and... Um, like I don't know, it's it's a tough job, and like there's people in in protection services and stuff that don't do our job, that are dictating our job, um, like higher ups and telling us this is how so- something should be done, and this person's office is over at the health science, and we're running St Clair's, and I mean you know they're just not the same building, they're not the same place, um. Like I said, it's a dangerous job, and they they could do well by taking more guidance from the actual employees, the people working the security there themselves, instead of dictating from above. But anyway, like I said, I just wanted to to touch on the parking to the gentlemen and whatnot there earlier, but yeah.
1: You know, I I think you make a good point about taking people for granted or some disciplines or uh, jobs or roles not getting enough credit. I mean, even if we just talk about the window of the pandemic. So... The frustration that people felt for a variety of reasons meant that there was a great greater likelihood that you were going to voice your frustration with the first people that you made contact with. Whether it be security absolutely. guard or the cashier or the person bagging your groceries or whatever it is, people were yep. really uptight and really quick to lash out. Maybe quicker than ever before, certainly in my personal experience. So absolutely, whether you be the flag person on some road work or the security guard at the mall, or in the parking lot of St. Clair's, no doubt about it, you were taking some pretty harsh treatment in words, maybe unnecessarily so, 99% of the time.
7: Yeah, absolutely, yep. (laughs) It was was a trying time, to say the least. I think things have gone back to normal, uh, where they can be now, but like i said we had all kinds of extra duties that were assigned to us at the time like having to guide potential covid patients like we were uh, masked and suited up for guiding them from one part of the hospital to another and you know, we've we done our best in, in in the whole regard of it all. And like I said, because we were there at all of the entrances and, and everything, uh, trying to make sure everything works as smoothly as possible. And, uh, yeah, and, like, the St. So Clair's can be, well, but all the hospitals, uh, well, the health science included, but the just the location of St. Clair's and whatnot, like some of the, uh, you know, more colorful colorful individuals, I will say, that we have to deal with down there on a the daily basis. I don't think people realize um, you know, the the lack of staff that is there and uh, the, just just the the duties alone that they're dealing with in the run of a twelve and now they haven't put back the eight hour shifts. But I mean we were working twelve hour shifts just doing our best with three people on in the run of a shift trying to pretty much run the hospital. <laughs> so yeah.
1: Aaron, you moved off from being a security guard at St. Clarence. What are you up to now?
7: I'm around today with my father being a farmer. <laughs> oh, good for you! <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh, moved out of St. John's. I I spent twenty years in there, and I had my fill. So I moved home to the peace and quiet of the bay. I'm in Patrick's Cove now, in the beautiful Cape Shore.
1: Wonderful. And what kind of farming operation do you guys have going? Uh,
7: vegetables and. And all kinds of vegetables, everything you can imagine, my son, everything. We have peppers, cucumbers, tomatoes, every kind of potato, turnip, carrots, pumpkins, everything. Strawberries growing up down there now.
1: And you're enjoying it by the sound of it.
7: I love it out here. (laughs) I love it. Great peace of mind, I must say.
1: Boy, there's a lot to be said for finding a place that offers great peace of mind. Great to have you on the show. I really appreciate the point you're making about those on the front lines. You know, a lot of times, again, not only do we take them for granted, but they become the uh, the crosshairs for people who are mad or frustrated or angry or bitter or whatever the case may be.
7: Exactly. And everyone's just trying to do their job, Patty. Yeah. That's
1: it. Good to have you on, Aaron. Good luck.
7: All right. Thanks, man. Have a good day.
1: Thanks. Bye bye. You know, on that front, look, me, we all know it to be true. People in those roles really do find themselves on the receiving end, unfortunately, frequently. But it's also worth putting out there and this is an experience, I'll leave the store out of it once again, but, you know, if you're a manager or supervisor or an owner of a place in retail or somewhere where there's customer service is part of it, counter service, cashiers, whatever, you know, it's probably a good idea for the conversation, you know, to prepare your staff for the fact that they probably will take some of these verbal beatings and how to handle it or, you know, refer them on to the boss, whatever the case may be, but also for some of these frontliners, I don't, I don't know if I eye-roll at it or how I react other than I think it's cheaper. So I'm glad I don't own this place because I don't want my staff talking like that. Whether it be talking about how whacked you were on Friday night or uh, complaining about the customers who were crooked with you, I get the frustration. But you really, hope, you got to hope if you're the boss that your staff aren't talking like that. Because I heard it just yesterday. Talking about one group of customers in particular were a pain in the you-know-what. <laughs> and I'm standing there thinking, really? Man, I don't want to hear that. And lo- and same thing with boy, last night, Bob, some wasted. I don't think that's really the conversation your boss wants you to be having in front of your customers. Anyway, let's take a break. When we come back, we will speaking with you. Don't go away. Welcome back to the program. We're anticipating the mayor of Gate, Justin Blackler, to uh, join us here shortly. Talk about the fact that his community is now striking committees to look at what it means or what it would look like to be a dementia-friendly community. So, and I think that makes a lot of sense. So, because of an email that provokes this, just someone's trying to ask me what the point is I was trying to make here about dementia-friendly communities. I think for safe, healthy communities uh, that people want to live in and feel welcomed in, regardless of what it is we're talking about inside society and healthcare, is to understand what's coming and to be prepared for it is probably always a good idea, no matter what we're talking about. So the numbers are quite clear regarding dementia. So some 1.6% of the Canadian population in 2022 had and was living with dementia. The number is expected to grow by somewhere in the neighbourhood of 36 to 3.8% by 2050. So again, for big numbers, in 2020, there was 597,000-ish number of uh, people in Canada living with dementia, Now they're talking about by 2030, that number to increase to 955 or 56,000 people, and then the number I just gave you about the growth to 3.6% of the entire population by 2050. So that might absolutely sound like a very small percentage of the entire population, but that's just the numbers of people diagnosed and living with dementia. When in fact, while we understand quite clearly, when you listen to folks at the Alzheimer's Society, I'll take their word for it, it's not just the person living with dementia, it's their caregivers impact on community what people living with uh, dementia need for supports whether it be in their own home or in a long-term care facility or whatever case may be and yes the caregivers so if you add in let's just say for round numbers there's a family unit of three and a close set of uh, extended family of 10 cousins and the like, aunts and uncles and then circle of friends of 20 just to be conservative with the numbers then at that point we're talking about a lot of impacted, a lot of people impacted by one diagnosis of dementia, and so preparing for what seems to be pretty significant growth in those numbers in the n- very near term. Because you know, twenty thirty feels like a long way away, but it's not. It's right there around the corner. Twenty fifty is not a long way away either. So that's the point I think people are making, whether it be Mayor Blackler or the Alzheimer's Society of Canada. And yes, we've talked to Shirley Lucas in this pro- in this province as well, representing the Alzheimer's Society. So. Just being prepared is probably going to be better, as opposed to what always happens. It's more chaotic and more expensive and more damaging if we're just reacting after the fact where we see these numbers grow the way they are, much akin to some of what we've seen, for instance, in what autism. So in schools, years ago when I was growing up, I guarantee there were children in my classroom that had autism. Did they have an autism diagnosis? No, they didn't. You know, just think about it. When we had a concussion, we got our bell rung. If you had autism, it was undiagnosed, there was something off with that child. But now we know that there's been more professional recognition of the symptoms and formal diagnosis of where you might be on the spectrum because the spectrum is so wide that it could be profoundly uh, experienced all the way to profoundly brilliant. With Asperger's, say, for instance, So I think that's the point that people are making about preparations for what the future holds. We're giving the numbers of Canadians that will be living with dementia. So anyway, someone was wondering why we're trying to make a big deal out of it. But that because we bring something up isn't about making a big deal of it. But when things are coming and we can see them happening and we can see them changing, being out in front of it probably makes a bit of sense. It does to me. And if that's uh, an opinion you don't share, I get it. And so be it. I think there's a very similar conversation on that front regarding preparation for what communities might look like. You know, whether it be the biggest city in the province being St. John's and preparing for what's coming. We've seen different populations come to, whether it be from uh, around the province, around the country, around the world, preparing for it is an important part of it. And I do know that there's people who don't necessarily want to share some what might be considered harsh opinions in the public forum, but you're welcome to call the program and a level-headed conversation we'll try to offer here but even things like uh, population shift. The population of the province grew some 2% last year. It's the first time in a while that we had net growth. And what that means, I mean, there's an economic upside, and even on the national front, you know, the immigration numbers are extremely lofty and uh, certainly very ambitious by the federal government. And again, it doesn't make anybody a bad person to wonder aloud what that means and how it uh, fits in with issues that people s- will deem, and I think justifiably so, as a crisis. Two, most notably, is housing and healthcare. So if we have an ongoing housing issue now, then should we not have pragmatic plans well understood or well articulated by the government about how their plans for immigration meet up with the reality on the ground regarding housing or the reality on the ground regarding access to healthcare? Because again, it's got to work for everybody. And that doesn't make anyone anti immigration to say, okay, so what's the plan? If we plan on bringing the, and the federal government numbers, is somewhere in the neighborhood of 1.4, 1.5 million immigrants over the course of three years, they can talk about uh, targeting skilled trades, whether it be in the tech sector or trades people or healthcare professionals. But of course, upon arrival, they will need somewhere to live, they will need access to healthcare and it's not as boiled down to as everyone has to have a family doctor, that's not necessarily what that means coming out of my mouth, is reasonable and equitable access to health care. So unless we have government officials telling us answers to those questions, then we're probably going down a, a path where a problem that exists on the ground today might be further complicated or exasperated or whatever the right word is if and when the housing crisis becomes worse. Access to health care becomes more difficult. So, you know, it's fine to talk about the big numbers, but under those numbers should be an awful lot of more information about exactly what preparations are being done, what has been done, what's scheduled to be done, so that can work for all Canadians and certainly work for the immigrants. Imagine arriving, you have this vision of what the country might be like in your new province, let's just say Newfoundland and Labrador, and you think, okay, I'll get here, there will be opportunity, and there are opportunities here, and there's lots of reason to be optimistic about the future of the province and the country, but then through no fault of your own, you can't find anywhere to live. Or on top of that, you can find somewhere, but the affordability issue was just way out of whack for the m- vast majority of people, whether it be newcomers or folks who were born and raised here, as people like to say. So again, you know, preparation for what's coming next is probably an excellent idea, and that includes dementia and population growth and everything uh, that's involved in those massive conversations. All right, just a quick, I, I do appreciate the emails. It's openlinefacm.com. Some of them are pretty over the top, but so be it. You know, people try to make their point, and let's see if we can't engage in a conversation. This is regarding the self-checkout. But he says that it's convenient, and he's happy enough to use them. So be it. I don't think I said one thing about someone who chooses to use a self-checkout. You go into the drugstore, and all you've got is a brush or a box of ibuprofen, and you, one item, and you think, well, quickly, I'm out of here by not standing in line. And in some stores, they give you very limited options. It's self-checkout only, or for the most part. My comment was, if we have these companies that are replacing humans with technology, and this will be happening more and more and more into the future, whether it be because of artificial intelligence or otherwise, is that they're talking about their problems they're experiencing because of things they've done themselves. So you take away the human, you trust your customers to scan their items and to pay, for every item before they leave. So you're talking about your theft numbers are up. Well, maybe, just maybe, that's something that you play a role in. That's not giving any defense to the shoplifter. You know, whoever is willing to go into a store and pull off the five-finger discount, right? They're committing a crime. But you have, in some part, made it easier for that crime to take place. So it's kind of singing the blues about a song that you are a co-writer of. All right, check in the Twitter. We're VOCM open line. You know what to do. Email address is openonfiosim.com. When we come back, the topic, well, I'll hear
0: from you. Don't go away. Your voice in Newfoundland and Labrador's biggest conversation.
7: If you want to know what's happening in your province, tune in to Open Line every day.
0: Have your say weekday morning, starting at 9 a.m. on Open Line with Patty Daly on your VOCM.
1: Welcome back to the show. Let's go to line number one. Mike, you're on the air.
8: Hey, Patty, good morning. Good morning to you. Paddy, you have a very interesting program on the go. Imagine being a senior and getting an $8,000 bill for vehicle repairs that you weren't expecting.
1: It sounds outrageous to me. Like if, Whether it be a fixed-income senior or anybody else, my rule of thumb, and people do what they see fit, is I tell the mechanic, call me, tell me what you need to do, how much it's going to cost before you break, put a wrench to my vehicle.
8: Yeah, I think one of the weaknesses is perhaps about us seniors sometimes is that we trust a bit too much and we say, well, you know, do what, what's got got to be done to get her going. Do you expect that's what they're going to do? And then, uh, they, you know, they, if they caught up to that kind of thing, say, well, we better give them a call. You know, and then if you get this, someone's going to cost you this. You know, but it sounds like that wasn't done anyway. It was a great call, and then you, you know, got another one on the on gender changes, perhaps, and things like that. I must say, it was a very well-spoken gentleman who called in, and very calm and a nice discussion about it, nice open discussion about aging. You know, in terms of uh, when uh, when the students should be, uh, you know, have uh, certain available options and what teachers should be teaching. And, uh, of course, parking, I think we've all done that, so you've had a full plate. I'm going to the other end of the spectrum now, a little bit, if I may, and I hope it doesn't divorce some of your listeners. Uh, Patty, I'd like to speak about the aging workforce. Okay. Uh, And uh, in Newfoundland and Labrador, that's particularly acute, in that a lot of the boomers are now going to the bust part of their lives uh, in terms of uh, getting to, and I guess in a way, it's sort of related in some way to the senior that you spoke to earlier, but perhaps not fully. Um, the uh, there seems to be a regular thing on the media about uh, you know not enough employees to fill jobs that are available. Uh, we may have some now in some of these big projects, which scares the hell out of me when we speak about jobs for construction and how much it's going to cost us. That may be another temporary fix. But Patty, uh, it seems like uh, the aging workforce, and now with AI coming on, not AI artificial intelligence is probably going to become more acute for people as they age in terms of being able to hold on to uh, their jobs, particularly if they are involved in anything that involves this technology. You know, I was a uh, part of a study a couple of years ago. I, I chair a group, a volunteer group, on the undergoes since 2018 and we've been very active called older workers of Newfoundland and Labrador. And uh, we focused on, um, advocating for the removal of barriers for people as they age to be able to access the workplace and stay employed or get employed, uh, and identifying opportunities for them.
1: And th- they're kind of two different things, aren't they, Mike? Uh, staying employed or getting employed, going back into the workforce. Stats Canada says that in the middle of 2022, one in five, somewhere around 22% of persons of working age were between 55 and 64. All-time high in the history of Canada.
8: Yep, and that's because the old, the younger ones weren't there. Yep. Uh, and uh, they weren't there to sing it. Uh, to But what happens now, what's happened in particularly since COVID, and, you know, with just a, a study done, a very good study done by the St. John's Board of Trade in looking at the aging workforce, and uh, I think in that particular one, it wasn't sort of a deep dive, but it was a good, a, a good stats that they identified 43,000 of the aging workforce who, were, who would work uh, under certain circumstances or needed work. And we particularly focused on those who need work. So maybe you're 55 or 60 or 65, you're not ready to retire, you've never really had any high earnings, you know, you've put the kids through school, and all of a sudden, for some reason, you're downsized. You're first out the door. When there was a downsizing, older people, because they're usually getting more money, are or, outside, or downsize, They're outside the door. But they need to keep working to be able to, I don't know, you, you don't have any uh, medical, dental vision now. You know, that's gone. Uh, maybe there's other things uh, that you need, uh, 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 medical things and stuff like that, prescriptions. So you need to keep working. And they're the ones that we've been focusing
1: on. So the reasons uh, that it becomes difficult, you know, I don't know how many employers, for instance. Let me paint this picture and I'll get your reaction. So I'm an employer. I'm looking to satisfy one position, two positions, whatever the case may be. I get applications, and for some of the school of thought might be, older equals sicker, older equals more potential uh, issues with retraining or the modern way of doing business. And consequently, those resumes go to the bottom. And I only even open up the jacket on their, uh, their letter when I've run out of other options. Do you think that's what happens?
8: That's a big part of what happens. You're right. It's it's a form of ageism, if you want. No, I understand it. Employers got to look after the business. They got to make money. And you'd be crazy not to think about those things. But in reality, uh, most older workers are not in that category at all. But because the perception is they're older and therefore they're going to be more vulnerable to sickness and they're going to be maybe harder to keep satisfied, these are all wrong. Our experience with, uh, you know, doing studies and looking at other things, But most people, as they age, uh, become more dependable. They show up for work, you know? They're not frivolously off. Uh, They're good mentors. Uh, They're past that stage in their life where they want to climb the ladder and push out of the way anybody who's on there, younger people. They're usually good mentors in helping younger people to progress. They're very life-experienced, you know? They're they're good co-workers and things like that. That's been our experience. But the old adage, you know, of, of... older workers you're absolutely right it's a big problem in that sometimes HR people look at it as old being problems and it's not actually it's quite the other way now I'm not advocating for one minute that we you know that employers take cheaper older workers and and, and thus keeping uh, younger workers away from opportunities not by any stretch of the imagination. And, and we, have, we have immigration, temporary foreign workers. There are certain jobs that uh, people can't and, and won't do, you know, and temporary foreign workers are doing it. But the aging workforce uh, is partic- particularly difficult when you're only equity in life. And this is prevalent, by the way. It's, it's more prominent in women after we, we've done a few studies. Uh, uh, it's uh, that you're too young to be old. You're too y- old to be young. And uh, if you're out the door or you find yourself because the business has closed or whatever the issue is and all of a sudden you don't have any, you know, long and short term disability, you don't have a medical dental vision, you don't have life insurance, you don't have anything anymore. Uh, To get back into the workforce, Patty, it's a big job. It's a big job. Uh, Maybe you might be an experienced uh, tradesperson, but... Uh, for for most part uh, it's a big job and and you see many of those people in places like that great service facility down there like the gathering place and things like that uh, that should, they don't need to be there so they're drawing down on the on the on the cost to society rather than contributing to the cost to society Patty, all of that is leading up to something if I may if I have a few more minutes sure, to sure go ahead I want I'll, I want to talk about um, one of the things I meant, uh, you know, the digitalization of the workplace for older workers in particular, or the aging workforce in particular, is a big problem. You know, like I've got a buddy of mine who's got a beautiful brand new flip phone, you know, it's fresh out of the box, and he doesn't know how to turn the damn thing on, you know. (laughs) Uh, or, Or maybe many of the older people have, iPads that they, they can't use and, and, and the aging workforce and they're scared of technology. They've never really been introduced to it at this at this stage. They've never really needed it. In line with that, the community sector council, you know, you probably that we previously that knew that at the Community Services Council. Yeah. But they've rebranded uh, this role, Penny Rowe was there and did a fantastic job for many years, she and her staff. Well they've rebranded now and there's new people in there, new techie bunch mm-hmm. and that running it. And I received, all older workers in Labrador received uh, an email from them last week, late last week. And it, it, it advised us that they're bringing back a program they had a couple of years ago called TechnoTutors. Actually, it's called TechnoTutors 2.0. And, Patty, I'm going to leave a telephone number for Community Sector Council when I finish up here. But so what that is is that uh, this is a a pre which is very important because most of the aging workforce anyway and probably a lot of the workforce or a lot of people if they're on they're insecure or they they need to know things about you know banking they want to know things about their phone they want to know things about social media well the, the community sector council has created what i'll call a menu of technology digitalisms, you know. So on one side, it might be talking about the hardware of your phone. It could be talking about your computer, your laptop. It could be talking about, you know, your, your, your iPads, whatever the case might be. In the next section down in that menu would be the operation of any of these things. And below that would be the software. Maybe you just want to know about Outlook Mail or Gmail or the suites, you know, of, of, of uh, you know Microsoft. Maybe you want to understand Excel or PowerPoint or the case may be. So they prepared a menu. And you, as the consumer, you don't have to be older for this, you could be anybody, can pick off that menu what you need. And they will deliver it to you either individually or virtually, or I understand in person, they have some facilities, certainly St. John's, Avalon area, but I think they're gonna go across the province with this fantastic idea. They're gonna make it available to people because other than that, these people would never get it. They're very expensive to buy individually, and and usually the training schools, like College in the North Atlantic or Memorial or whatever, they don't deliver, they don't provide those products. So uh, this is a fantastic thing. Uh, they're going to have walk-in Wednesdays there and uh, where you can go in and meet, have a chat, you know, and and get updated on it. Uh, So, Patty, that's a fantastic thing for anybody who wants to, uh, you know, to become in a friendly environment and not a a one where you got to be a a whiz kid, but to learn more about technology that you
1: want off that menu. uh, Technology can be intimidating, but the reality is, it's really not that difficult, and I'm not talking about being a coder and writing code and doing some of the most high-flute and things with the Internet or computer programs. I mean, for the basics of operating a system inside your office and or just the very basics of navigating the Internet and uh, the social media platforms or what have you, some people think that, well, I can't do it. Well, the issue is that it's pretty user-friendly, pretty intuitive stuff. So you take away that barrier of it's overwhelming and it's intimidating, very quickly people realize, you know what, what was I, what was I waiting for? There's nothing to this.
8: See, you should be in there teaching that stuff. That's what they need. They need a motivational speaker like you. But uh, you're absolutely right. And, and that's why this was designed, TechnoTutors 2.0, by the Community Sector Council, because what you just said, they realized. And they've taken advantage of that spot in the in the uh, that's available for people and uh and and identify the need and they've come on and they're doing it. And I think it's just a magnificent uh, um uh, project that they're going to be providing very shortly. I don't I think it'll start maybe a couple of weeks or maybe the end of the summer, I don't know. But Patty, I'd encourage them, hey, I'm gonna give you the community sector, I'm gonna give out over your ear the community sector council because I've said a lot, and I'd encourage them. They've got delightful people to speak, so as long as they don't get a thousand phone calls, I and mean, then who is just not, they said, just call up Eddie daily this morning, and told them all about us. But uh, it's 753-9860. I spoke to them last week. I called them, and uh, they were kind enough to set up a team meet with me. So I just wanted to pass that on. It's a great uh, project that's coming on by them, and it's... Uh, you know, it's a it's non-intimidating, and it's to remove the fear of, oh, I can't do that. Like, my daughter gave me a mug pet, and it said, uh, don't worry, Dad, I'll always be your tech support.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and I will throw, th- like the I'll throw this out there, because uh, very often when we talk about these issues, and the implication is that so many people, 65 plus, don't know how to do X, Y, or Z. There's this one lady in particular, I'll leave her name out of it, but she's 100% right saying, there's tons of seniors that are just as nimble and as efficient with uh, technology as anybody at any age, and she's not wrong. I mean, I know plenty no. of seniors in my life that have no issues dealing with whatever I can do on the internet, and I talk tech all the time. Except I'm not very technologically savvy. I just know that it's advancing quickly, and there's economic opportunities there. That's basically my my background. Right. In it. And
8: you're the reason. And you're the reason people are afraid to say that because a lot of people like you and other people are saying, "Well, oh, I got no problems with this." You're right. That's, what, that's not what this is for. This is not for you, maybe, but this is for the silent majority. I think it's out there, my experience, uh, who uh, who really quietly would say, you know, I'd love to understand this, how to operate this phone or so, this system better. I'd love to understand the security and my banking and all that kind of stuff. But they won't say it because there's always a friend who's older or the same age and say, what's wrong about it? That's easy. Not everybody learns not everybody learns equally. Anyway, Patty, uh, I, I appreciate your show so much. Thank you very much. Appreciate the time. I and, couldn't uh, see you last week. Uh, yeah, it was nice to have a little uh, a little knuckle tap there, and it was nice to meet you. You look much younger, Patty, than your experienced voice says so. You'll be, that kept sneakers,
1: that, you that you be kept on. You
8: will be kept on. That <laughs> pair of sneakers you got, you were wearing. You're not going to lose you in the pod. There's no
1: doubt about that. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Thanks, Mike. Thanks. Like, all right. Thanks very all much. All Bye. the best. Bye-bye. <laughs> Let's take a break. Karen, you stay right there. She wants to talk about private parking. Don't go away. Welcome back. Let's go to line number two. Good morning, Karen. You're on the air. Hi,
9: Patty. How are you?
1: Doing okay. How about you?
9: Oh, not too bad. Good. Um, I'm just calling in uh, concerning, I'm sure uh, you heard of that private parking lot there down on Water Street. That is uh, um, It's privately owned and uh, my son he's uh, one of the owners of a restaurant that shares the parking lot with this uh, particular company and i just want to call in about an incident that happened saturday evening um so my son noticed that the propane was getting low in the restaurant um he is on automatic fill and uh so actually that's a totally different story there but they did send someone in right away to fill up the tank for him and as the truck pulled into this private parking lot, the guy came over and put a boot on the on the truck, the truck that was putting the propane in the tank for my son. So my son went down and you know, asked him what what's the issue here. They're here to put the propane in the tank. I have a full restaurant in there. I have two hundred and fifty people on the books for this evening and the kitchen obviously needs propane. And he basically laughed in his face and said the truck is not supposed to be there. He's not parking. And my son was trying to explain to him, well, obviously he's not parking. He's just here to pull in. The propane tanks are here in this parking lot, so he has to pull in to fill them up. And the guy just laughed at him and walked away. And uh, the man who was there to fill the propane tanks had uh, had to pay in order to get the boot taken off.
1: There's not a standing understanding or relationship that something like propane refill or delivery can use the asphalt that they share with this private parking lot operator?
9: Um, they're, they're supposed to be, but apparently this, this individual who, uh, who I guess, I mean, he goes around just putting boots on people's cars for the fun of it because um, I'm after seeing so many posts on social media of people on their way back from eating in a restaurant and their meter is about to expire that hasn't expired but just about to and he's start putting your boot putting the boot on the car
1: well there should be a penalty for that 10 times what the ticket would be or the cost to get the boot off you know that sounds like something that's not only highly dubious but Anyway, I didn't know people were actually doing that, and I don't spend much time perusing social media when I'm not working, so I haven't seen a lot of that stuff, but I have heard people complain about it in my email inbox. So has anything ever happened to the pre-expiration booter guy?
9: Uh, apparently not. <laughs> like my son went down to talk with them and, and tried to explain, like, you know, like we have a busy restaurant here, and we're, we're just about to run out of propane. We need the propane for the kitchen, and... And he basically just laughed and walked away.
1: Bizarre. Does the propane truck ever park anywhere but that parking lot for the refill?
9: And uh, no, he don't. But I guess where it was on a Saturday night. Um, I, I don't know. I.
1: Bizarre, boys. Are boys. Just,
9: I know, and it's just it's it's frustrating because I'm after seeing so many posts about this individual who who are. I mean, and the restaurant gets so much scrutiny about it because you know people associate this parking lot with the restaurant, even though they have nothing to do with it. It's privately owned. I'd just like to know like, this company, like they, they need to speak with this individual who's just going around and booting people's cars. I mean, and they get a lot of tourists down there also, and they come out and they have to pay $150 to get this removed from their car.
1: Sounds extraordinary to me. I don't know who owns that parking lot to be honest with you. But if there's people actually applying the boot like that and or applying the boot before there's any meter runs out or whatever the case may be, then we've got ourselves a massive money grabbing problem, right? So I don't know who owns it, and I'm not sure what restaurant we're talking about. And we can leave both out because I can figure out the ownership business no problem.
9: Uh-huh.
1: And I'll reach out to them and ask them to justify some of these types of things. Whether or not they'll be willing to come on the, on the show, which I'm betting they won't but even if they can just clarify via email as to you know the rationale and the fairness associated with how they might be operating in that lot i'll find out who they are and i'll get in in touch with them right away
9: okay perfect thanks so much patty
1: appreciate your time okay bye-bye okay bye karen okay let's keep rolling here let's go to line number three gail you're on the air good morning patty daly how are you excellent today thanks how you doing
10: I'm fine, thank you. I got a question for you. I don't know if you can tell me where to go or what to do, okay, but uh, I'm living in a community here that it, we had an Anglican school years ago that when it closed down, it was passed down to the community of Brooklyn for community all two years ago, September coming um they put it up on tenders now in the meantime, the power was cut, and all the contents inside was sold. I have two oldest well two seniors in the community here excuse me in the in the community here is 97 and 84 that i was talking to and they told me yes the school they were one particular man was to the meeting that the minister had at that time and they passed the school down to the community but i can't seem to find any documents on that anywhere i've asked the minister did he have paper saying he owned the school? He told me no. It was passed down to the Handicom Church from another united minister, which I call that minister myself. That's not right. So I don't know where to go from here. And that that was our muster station if we have another like storm like Igor that time like we had, right?
1: Okay. Just want to make sure that I'm hearing this properly. So uh, who actually owned it at any point? I mean, if it was used well, as a muster station, it must have been operated by someone, the community, the church, the province. Like well, who- see, it was supposed to be the community of, of
10: uh, like, when the church, when the school closed, it was passed down to the community for a community all, in other words. Okay. So uh, my understanding was, I guess it must have been that uh, what I can find out so far is that, I guess the Anglican members, which I guess was the ACW, must have took it over under... Um, Took it over themselves without asking anybody else.
1: <laughs> Must be nice. It's so, <laughs> are they able to tell you whether or not they think they own it?
10: I can't find out anything, Patty. Honestly, I've googled it, uh, put in like Anglican Church Brooklyn, no search found. I've asked several people; nobody knows anything. No papers, no nothing. I don't know. Uh, like I said, now the two other people. That was passed down to. I think at a particular time, they they are passed on. So I can't get no word from those people. Hey,
1: is there actually an Anglican Church presence in the community at all? It is, yes. And so there isn't anyone there who can represent the church and answer a very fundamental question.
10: I've asked the minister. I can't go no higher than that. I don't think.
1: No, I suppose that's probably the end of the road.
10: And he told me yes. And I asked him for did he have papers to show. He told me no. <laughs> that was passed down to Hibbs Church from the United Church minister, which is not right because I was talking to the man myself.
1: Uh, just, again, for further understanding, why are you trying to find this information? Because I went to school... Um,
10: I want, like, I mean, they cut the power on the school. What they would even ask in the community of Brooklyn, even if, if they didn't have the funding to keep the, the lights up, they could have had the decency to go around and ask the people, okay, boys, can you give me $5 or $10 towards the light bill? I mean, we would still have the power on the school. I mean, we got nothing here now. They've done it on their own, and it's only like, well, they had a meeting, I'd say, maybe they must have been around ourselves because a good many people in my community don't even know that it was cut.
1: Yeah, and so with that that decision to cut power, that would have been made at the utility. Well, I'm would assume.
10: Uh, i I'm only just, I can't say for sure, Patty, but what I'm thinking is, and what I've read what, after I was talking to this ministry post something on Facebook that was shared with me, um, apparently he said he didn't have the funding to do so. Okay, if he didn't have the funding, that's what I just said to you. Why didn't he go around? They knew it was the community of Brooklyn owns his school. Hmm. And I don't mind saying my community.
1: No, oh, fair enough. A uh, bit of a tangle when a group, whether it be a church or anybody else, says, well, I own this but can't provide anything to st- actually state that they own it.
10: Well, that's what I'm saying. Yes, I, I, know. I you. all day yesterday on Google, Googling this in, and cannot find nothing for the school. It's no search found. Now, let me Google in the church. It tells me when it, when it was started, the bill, like the minister's name at the time, where the material come from, and when it was open. I can find all that, but I can't find nothing about the school.
1: Can you go to the government at the registry?
10: Well, I suppose I could call them, because, I mean, I don't live in St. John's. So I guess I could call them and ask them, but as far as I know right now, there's no papers nothing to be found on, be found on this and this is what makes me mad because right now in our community we got nothing here
1: I don't know what your ability is to uh, do a search from home there is an online search of the registry of deeds it's like five bucks or something uh, yeah but I would do that that'd be the next place I go.
10: well apparently I don't have to pay for the deeds anyway because um, I can find it I can go online myself but I can't find nothing there either. So this is what I'm saying. And like, they, well, apparently to the reading that I had there on, that he posts on Facebook, insurance is still on that building when it's not even occupied and there's no power, and no nothing to it.
1: Yeah. So there's reasons for there. that. There's some public liability is still associated yeah. with a vacant building. Like someone goes in and gets hurt and that kind of stuff. There's reason yeah. to have some form of insurance, fire, public liability, those types of things. Yeah.
10: Well, that's what I said. Like I'm a brick wall. I can't find anything out.
1: I go. So you're telling me you've gone to Digital Government and Service NL and done a, and have conducted a Registry of Deeds title search?
10: Well, I went on Google myself and searched it, and I can go in online to the Deeds, like, you know, say Registry of Deeds, and I couldn't see nothing
1: there. There's also a suggestion that you go directly to the uh, Diocese of Central Newfoundland, which is uh, located in Gander.
10: I was already talking to You're him. You already
1: talking to him. Okay, well, I'm exhausted with it then. That's the info I had, suggestions I had.
10: <laughs> and so not only you, it's a good many more.
1: Let me know if you find anything out.
10: I guarantee we'll let you know.
1: Thanks a lot, Gail. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Take care. Bye.
0: Yep.
1: Yeah, so someone somewhere should be able to prove that they either once held title and had the actual authority to transfer to another entity, That sounds like a bit of a bizarre tangle. Anyway, I mean, how many older buildings will have confusing documentation about who actually is in control of and has any authority to do X, Y, or Z with? All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we're looking forward to speaking with you. Don't go away.
0: Join Greg Smith weeknights at 545 as he chats with local musicians about life, inspiration, shows and new music. Tune in to Soundcheck, your backstage pass to the local music scene on your VOCM.
1: Welcome back. Let's go to line number one. Keith, you're on the air. Hello? Hello, Keith. Hi, yes. uh,
11: Just calling regarding the last lady that was on about the Anglican Church and the property. Sure. Uh, Am I reading it right, and I hear it right, that she said there was insurance on it? Apparently. Well, whose name is the insurance in?
1: Well, she says that the uh, Anglican Church says that they own it, so I would imagine it's the Anglican Church that is paying the insurance.
11: And they have no documentation, but they're still paying insurance.
1: Well, like, I can pay insurance for a variety of things. Like, uh, for something like that, I imagine the church has a variety of insurance policies, but I think you're on to an interesting point here. If I go to insure something, do I have to prove uh, proof of ownership? And I would imagine, in this case, and in every case, you're absolutely right.
11: Exactly. Yeah. Now, uh, I've done, for years, I've done research into properties. And when you're dealing with churches, yeah, I'm telling you, it's unbelievable, because... The biggest fraud of all is when the churches and the administration of churches has people put money into a property and build buildings on property that they don't own. So nobody ever goes in. The parishioners don't go in and see who the legal owner of the land is. That's a major problem in Newfoundland.
1: Keith, you're 100% right. Just look no further than the most recent sell-off of church properties by the Roman Catholic dio- the Episcopal Corporation of St. John's. I mean, there's communities that have asked very fundamental questions to say, look, the church didn't build this church. We built this church. The residents of the community built this church. Just the uh, the Roman Catholic Episcopal Corporation they, and the diocese, they provided a priest. We did everything else, and then consequently you're allowed to sell it. There's something patently wrong with that.
11: Something wrong with it. Yeah, exactly. Now, um, going back with 35 years ago, I found records on, on uh, in, regarding them situations. I went to parishioners, especially in Catholic churches, and uh, it was unbelievable what happened. I mean, I, I became an enemy of every one of my parishioners, every one of my community members, right? And the people that were in charge, the administration people, Came to actually call the police and had me arrested because I questioned the financial papers. Really? That's Thirty-five years ago. Yes, that is absolutely correct. So, I'm i can not to thought- say too much more, more. More, I can only say a little bit more because I filed a lawsuit back in the day. It's still on the records. It's still on the records here in Saint John's, and that's why I'm in Saint John's today to follow up on that. But every which way I went, that lawsuit was blocked because of the powerful people behind it.
1: Keith, I mean, you just offer as much as you're comfortable with, but so arrested and charged with what?
11: Well, they, they never charged me, but they told me I had to stay out of it. So what happened with these situations with the Catholic Church was they were running uh, they were running operations uh, where they were um, making money, like fundraising through their organization sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, they didn't tell the parishioners that some of that money was going, being redirected to political slush funds. So, uh, as that—that's what they said. You cannot question the financial papers. So when I went to an annual general meeting and questioned the financial papers, they changed the chairman who was up, that uh, at that time, and they put in a chairman who was. Uh, I guess, very politically connected because he's on numerous, numerous uh, boards, you know, like the Newfoundland Teachers Association and credit unions and on and on and on. He's He's this, right? So he said, nobody ever questioned financial papers in our community before. So what gives you to write? Now, I was on something big because at the time I had papers belonging to credit unions and cooperatives that prove the fraud on you know when they destroyed destroyed these organizations belong to the people so uh, i was on to something really big down where the church officials and administration was connected to these uh, frauds in bankrupting co-ops and credit unions and uh, various other organizations and the money went into political flush funds so that was connected to the bankruptcy so they didn't charge me but what was interesting about it is they had they they had licenses under the liquor board under the corporation liquor corporation called uh, like a membership license right and but then it had no members so this is what they were saying you can't question it because you're not a member but when the police came they said what uh, how they get away with it is that they say anybody born in the community is automatically a member if you're a Catholic, because this was a Catholic situation at the time.
0: It's so fascinating a fascinating story.
11: A member, but there's no membership. So I said, well, they're operating under fraudulent pretenses. I don't want to be a member. Well, we agree with you, but just stay away from them. Don't question them. Now, when we go on about 30 years later and uh, and the Auditor General starts doing reports for the inside government, for government, and she gets fired. You remember that? Elizabeth Marshall?
1: Oh, Elizabeth Marshall. I was going to say, it was starting to resonate in my mind, but okay.
11: Yes, she gets fired because she's now bringing out some of this stuff, right? But I wrote so many reports on that, on fraud and money laundering. It's uh, just unbelievable, unbelievable. But
1: uh, You wrote the reports for who?
11: I wrote the reports that went into, uh, you know, I collected all the evidence and wrote reports for ministers. I, I would go in Well, make a long story short. I was offered the world. I was offered the world to go away and keep my mouth shut by ministers of the crown in the government. And I was told at the time by the justice minister that it's the government outside of the government that runs this operation. And I was offered by a minister. His name was Fury at the time, back in the day. Um, That was even as far as 1976. And he said, go home. Ask for whatever you want from us. We'll give it to you if you keep your mouth shut. Now, we're in a bad situation in Newfoundland today because this is the cover up up after cover up up after cover up. And uh, land titles, unbelievable. I mean, I've done a lot of research in land titles and the fraud on top of fraud on top of fraud in there. So they got inland titles, they have a certain section in the back there. And they know what's going on because when somebody steals land, they know it's not a true title, so they put that information in a separate file over at, at land titles. Now, over the years, everything has been privatized pretty much because all government agencies that have operated, you have to look at the guiding mind of the operation. Who mm-hmm. is the guiding mind in law? And so basically when you look at that, you will only have the kind of, come to a conclusion that these are private businesses under disguise as an agency. That's why there's no transparency. You know, I have to give transparency. So, well, anyway, with that, uh, you know, there's a lot to be said because I've been doing research for over 50 years now and uh, I had lawsuits uh, uh, tied up in the courts are blocked by the heavyweight lawyers who are uh, many of them were actually uh, politicians uh, like jack harris danny williams and whole pile more and uh and so i couldn't just i couldn't break the ice because the police were saying it's all too political we can't do anything about it i mean in the 90s the senior police were saying we're, we're quitting our jobs early we're retiring because politics is over the law and over justice Holy we can't smokes. do anything about it uh, unbelievable patty on Un- a uh, shocking the- the world. <laughs> there's, there's a, a lot
1: record. to absorb as to what, from what you've offered here this morning a lot
11: uh, well if you want to see the records patty i have them i have I still have a lot what was not stolen from me because even filing cases in the courts against the government the records would go missing be installed right i mean that was shocking and i went to every major law firm in Newfoundland back in the '90s. and not one of them would represent me in a lawsuit because they said they wouldn't get a contract with government, and that's what they depended on uh, you know for, for business, is government contracts, and they wouldn't get one if they took my case. But if they would have took my case, they would have exposed all this about the churches and the, the administration in the churches and all the political slush funds they were operating. And they brainwashed all the people. the poor people gave their money. To those places not knowing that the money was being direct, redirected to political slush funds that came out when i hired a private investigation firm to come to Newfoundland and do an investigation into why i couldn't get a business license and a liquor license and they soon found out i mean the inspectors told them right away they said this you know it's shocking because we we recommended these licenses all the time but the problem is there are com- small businesses competing with these church organizations who are fundraising for politics. So, And I got a copy of that report, Patty.
1: Keith, uh, I'm going to have to re-listen to this uh, call a little later just so I can hmm. grapple with all the different points made. Do you feel like uh, telling me who you are?
11: Well, this is it. I Well, that's my second name, Keith. I, I spoke to you last week. My name was William last week.
1: That's my first name.
11: My name is William MacIsaac.
1: William MacIsaac. Uh, that's
11: right. I, I've been I've... Uh, in private investigations for, well, I, started, I had my first criminal call when I was nine years old. So, And I had a strict father, so I, you know. When it came to theft, I couldn't believe it. By the time I was 20 years old, what was going on inside the government? And so, when I was 20, was my first visit to uh, my first visit to the government offices here, and uh, I was shocked. You know, that's when the offering was made to me. I could be a multi-millionaire uh, by taking their bribes, but I would never do it. So I lived poor.
1: William, I appreciate the time. They're flagging me off late here to the news, but uh, thanks. And I I am absolutely going to have to listen to this call again sometime later this afternoon just to get as much of an understanding as I can from what you've said. Uh, but thanks for this. I appreciate your time.
11: Thank you very much,
1: Patty, for listening. Yeah. Bye, William. Thank you. All right, bye-bye. bye-bye. Fine, so you might have to send me the MP3 of that because I'm going to have to re-listen to that thing. All right. uh, Today's a good day to get on the program to help us wrap it up to get to noon hour. So if you're in the St. John's Metro region, the number to dial to get in the queue, 709-273-5211. Elsewhere, toll-free, long distance, 1-888-590-VOCM, which is 8626. Don't go away. Welcome back to the program. Interesting note from a listener during the newscast. We were talking about psychiatric nurses, and maybe they're going to, well, yes, they're going to be running a pilot program for psychiatric nursing here in the province it's coming sometime this year and hopefully moving quickly towards the legislation required so that the college can actually regulate a registered psychiatric nurse. But we'll talk a bit more, more about that in a second. This was about another healthcare worker. And remember, it's not that long ago that the government was talking about reintroducing formalized approach to midwives in the province. Absolutely right. That kind of went by the wayside. There were some midwives that had been established in Central. I believe they were all in Gander. But the thought was, with the lack of services for OBGYNs, obstetrics units in certain parts of the province, that midwives could absolutely be part of the solution for families who are experiencing a very, quote-unquote, normal, low-risk pregnancy. It's a fair question. I don't know where that went. The province did not in indeed talk about. It's as long ago as 2016 where there was regulations actually passed in the House of Assembly, allowing for midwifery, I mean, for the longest while, that was the number one go-to for the vast majority of women who were pregnant, was to utilize midwife. My grandmother on my father's side was a midwife in the River Heights and Mary's Bay Area and delivered hundreds of babies. And so w- whether it be midwives or doulas, you would think that that would be something the government would still be hyper-focused on because when certain regions especially some rural, remote parts of the province, worried about whatever little bit of health care they actually still have in their community, then you know full well, just think of the arguments between uh, Grand Falls, Windsor and Gander. I don't know of arguments, but the conversation between those pretty heavily populated populated communities about whether or not one or the other was going to be the home of the obstetrics unit. So if that was a conversation in, you know, heavily populated central Newfoundland, you know full well there are certain parts of the province where if they do indeed have OBGYNs and delivering very few babies, the future of those units may be in question. But a lot of families over the course of decades and centuries here in the province, a midwife was the answer. So excellent question as offered by that listener about what about the whole issue regarding midwives. The issue regarding psychiatric nurses is a little bit different because the legislation is already in place for midwifery. But someone who's smarter than me and understands what I might be missing here is, I can't for the life of me understand why, at this uh, moment in time, in 2023, if there's a registered healthcare professional, in this case, a psychiatric nurse, who, and I just had a quick look at what their roles or responsibilities would be in various provinces utilizing them, including Alberta, Manitoba, and others. Basically, it says, They can be 100% responsible for assessing, planning, implementing, and evaluating patient care. Provide evidence-informed, person-centered, recovery-oriented nursing care to patients and their care providers. So to me, it sounds like a pretty important role that could absolutely ease the pressures on the system. So when we talk about access to long-term mental health services and the whole approach we take, as opposed to simply bricks and mortar, I know People try to improve the system and try to reduce wait times. We're not so sure what that means in regards to outcomes, but a psychiatric nurse just seems like that's something we should be doing, right? A profession that we should welcome to the province. So, again, the point that I was making off the top of the program is let's just stand back and look at different provinces. And the schools where they was for in this case, this lady from Mount Pearl who wants to return home but can't because the college isn't uh, isn't currently allowed to regulate the services provided by a registered psychiatric nurse. If there is accredited universities in every province in the country that are producing these professionals, because we all have very similar standards, Canada is Canada. There's no huge difference in the type of training required, the credentials, the assessment to be provided, this uh, certification. So let's just get out of each other's way. And I, I'm sure there's some resistance from various colleges because you want to protect your own provincial authority. But I think the most important part here is the system itself and for individual Canadians who need help from a healthcare professional. So let's get a list. Here's every school in every province and territory, if that's applicable, in the entire country. Here's the type of healthcare professionals they're being trained. Here's the process for how they get their credentials approved. And then if you're a graduate from, in this case, the University of Brandon in Manitoba, you provide your diploma, a copy thereof. You provide the proof of credentials as offered by that province's College of Registered Nurses. And then that's that. You can come work. I mean, th- all of the manufactured hurdles that we put in place here is just not helping the system, period. So I think it's about time that the Atlantic uh, Physician Registry is expanded to every healthcare professional. And then hopefully, with some guidance and assistance, from the federal government, we get down and figure this stuff out. I mean, the system, we pat ourselves on the back for the presence of universal health care in the country. Some people call it free, but of course there's nothing free, including health care. But it doesn't seem to be working like it's intended. It does forget that, let me rephrase. It's not working as it was intended. So have we had a pragmatic look at the HR component of health care in the last number of decades? It doesn't look like it. I do think that w- there's been some excellent work done here, and not by necessarily government, but by the people who were behind not only the chairs, Dr. Pat Parfrey and Sister Elizabeth Davis as the chairs, but all the members of their subcommittees that took input from the public, articulated what the future of healthcare looks like. Now, I don't know how much work government has done with implementation of the recommendations that have come from the health accord. Probably pretty important that we get an update on that front, but that's kind of part and parcel with many things we see inside the operations of government these days, is we will have big lofty goals, not a real clear roadmap of how to get there, no actual checklist for acknowledging whether or not we're on the right path or not, achieving set targets and goals or not. And I don't think I'm, I can't be accused of being hyperbolic on that front. I mean, look no further than whether it be the recruiting nurses in India. How many were we hoping to get? How many did we get? You know, if you don't set a target, then we're just kind of Throwing things at the wall, see what sticks. But anyway, that's the issue regarding psychiatric nurses. And good on the department for saying there will indeed be a pilot project. And then consequently amendments to legislation to allow the college to regulate these registered psychiatric nurses. Sounds like a good idea to me. All right, final break of the morning. Don't go away.
0: Get lost in the music of legendary artists like Elton John, The Beatles, and more. Join Claudette Barnes every Sunday from 12 to 1 p.m. And relive fond memories through the power of music with Sunday Melodies on your VOCM.
1: Welcome back to the program. Uh, you know, and I say this all the time, is the topic is not up to me. The topic is up to you. And so every now and then there's someone who will reach out to me via whether it be social media, Facebook, direct messenger, or an email and say, why aren't you talking about this? Why didn't you say this or that? Well, that's an opportunity for you to come on and do exactly that, to say this or that or talk, talk about whatever topic. And one person saying I'm purposely avoiding talking about Gordon Pinsent," which of all things, I mean, <laughs> why would I? I mean, one of the most revered sons of the province. So the fact of the matter is, over this weekend at the Rooms, there was a group had gathered to celebrate the life and times and achievements and what Gordon Pinson meant to the province and to the country. So there was a memorial in Toronto. They just had this, well, this celebration at the rooms, I think is the right reference to it. So Mark Critch was the host, and there was presentations or people who attended and spoke, like Mary Walsh and the ones performed, and Rick Mercer was there. Because, of course, you hear it's interesting when you hear Mark Critch, who obviously was a very close friend of Gordon Pinson's, and they have a lot of great stories to tell about their interactions together, is that, you know, it's, it's the giants like Pinsent which allowed for folks to recognize themselves on the screen, whether it be the small screen or the silver screen, to know that who we are, our accent, our geography can be part of the story. We're not fill-ins in other people's stories. We can tell our own. And Pinsent did exactly that. I think I've heard Mark tell this story in the past where one of the first times you ever saw Gordon Pinsent on television, I think the show was called Up at Ours, and there was Pinsent using his own, just speaking in his own accent, and we were now on TV telling our stories. And consequently, you know what it feels like. If someone has gone before you, the trailblazer, the pioneer, they make it much easier for the next wave to come right behind uh let's see here let's have one final call the morning let's go to line number one sharon you're on the air
12: hi patty good morning morning i had to call in because we went and saw come from away last night in gander and i just want to do a big shout out to all the cast and directors and behind the scene people but especially to peter halley Shelley neville Katrina bromley Oh, my gosh, what a show. Did us Newfoundlanders crowds. Absolutely breathtaking. Yeah, and of course, directed
1: by Gillian Kiley, one of ours as well.
12: Absolutely. So,
1: obviously, you hadn't seen it before last night.
12: Actually, I did see it first uh, when they did it in Gander. They did it at the arena before they brought it to Broadway. Okay. And uh, But last night's show was, uh, you know, Better Props. I mean, if anybody has been, they put out a call to the community for these crocheted squares. The call, you know, I think they're called granny squares. They needed a few for their safe design. They ended up with 2,200 of these crocheted <laughs> squares. It's just phenomenal. I mean, the story continues, you know, and. Uh, a little personal story. So I had posted on my Facebook page that I was excited to go see Come From Away. And a friend of mine who lives in Oklahoma, and she happened to be here in Newfoundland. I haven't seen her in 40 years. Anyway, somehow, she was able to find where I was seated in the theater. And when it was over, came up to me, tapped me on the shoulder. And when I turned around, I nearly died. So we had... A 15-minute reunion because we're camping in the Eastport area, so we had to drive back. And anyway, it it just added to the whole story of Come From Away. It was fabulous.
1: I I saw it. And I'll admit, I don't know how to say this, but sometimes if things are purposefully over-the-top provincial, And people get carried away with, you know, the sort of the caricatures of who we are and that kind of stuff. Sometimes I kind of not really big on that. But when Mm -hmm. I finally did see Come From Away, I was blown away. It was a tremendous show. And I tell you what, I think if people are being honest with themselves, left with a little bit more air in your chest and your chest puffed out and a bit more pride that possibly went in with before. And I'm not trying to exaggerate it, but that's how I felt. I saw it in absolutely. London, and I was absolutely blown away. with the caliber, the emotion, the reaction of the crowd was unanimous. Everyone felt exactly the same way. There was times where you laughed your head off, times where there was really quite touching, and everything in between. So I'm glad you enjoyed it, because I know I sure did.
12: Yeah, and, you know, I hope it continues. That- It would be great if they brought it into town because I know there's so many people probably wouldn't get the opportunity to get together to see it. But, you know, when you think about it, it's a story about us, a story about Newfoundland. And it's been worldwide. It's been everywhere. And it's about us. And I think we have a lot to be proud of in that.
1: I couldn't so agree I more. Have
12: to do a big shout out to everybody. And uh, if anybody gets a chance to ever see it, they should certainly go.
1: Because time is running out. 37 performances in Gander all sold out. Tickets are like hen's teeth.
12: They are. They are.
1: It's great so, stuff. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Thanks yeah. for the call, Sharon.
12: Okay, Patty. Have a great day. You
1: too. Take care.
0: Kay. Bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye. Yeah, and of course, (laughs) it wasn't just Gander that opened their arms, right? Surrounding communities out in Central, Town, Stephenville, Deer Lake. I mean, it's uh, something that I'm sure people never forget. And some of the stories of the passengers on some of the planes, and they're coming back to the province over the years for the obvious reasons, to say thank you and to reunite with some of the friends that they made during that really what was a very difficult time. But talk about making the best out of a bad situation. All right, good show today. And we will indeed pick up this conversation again tomorrow morning right here on VOCM and Big Land FM's Open Line. On behalf of the producer, Fonz King, I'm your host, Patty Daly. Have yourself a safe, fun, happy day. We'll talk in the morning. Bye-bye.